Good morning. The meeting will come to order. Welcome to the February 7 meeting of the Budget and Finance Committee. I'm Supervisor Connie Chan, Chair of the Committee. I'm joined by Vice Chair Raphael Mendelman and Supervisor Mirna Malgar. <laughs> Sorry. Our clerk is Brent Haliba. I would like to thank um, SFGovTV for broadcasting today's meeting, and that is including Jeanette Eknoff. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible this morning. My apology. Um, Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcement? Thank you, Madam Chair. Just a friendly reminder to those in attendance to please make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices so as to not to interrupt our proceedings. How should you have any documents to be included as part of the file that should be submitted to myself, the clerk? Uh, public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. When your item of interest comes up in public comment is called, please line up to speak on the west side of the chamber to your right, my left along those curtains, and while not required to provide public comment, we do invite you to fill out a comment card and leave them on the tray by the television to your left and by the doors. Uh, if you wish to be accurately recorded for the minutes, alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Uh, email them to myself, the Budget and Finance Committee Clerk, at brent.jalipa at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and also included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall. That's 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. And finally, Madam Chair, I, uh, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors' agenda of February 13th, unless otherwise stated. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. And... Um Let's go to uh, item number one. Yes, item number one is a resolution approving and authorizing the Director of Property on behalf of the Department of Public Health to execute a lease agreement for continued use of office and clinic space at 755 and 759 South Van Ness Avenue uh, and the adjacent parking lot with AIM-2 as landlord. Uh, effective upon approval of the resolution and upon execution of the lease by the Director of Property, terminating on December 31st, 2027 at the monthly base rent of approximately 52,000 for a total annual base rent of approximately 645,000 with annual 3% to 5% CPI increases plus one five-year ex, uh, five-year extension option and authorizing the director of property to enter into any amendments or modifications to the lease that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities nor decrease the benefits to the city and are necessary or advisable to effectuate the purposes of the lease or this resolution. Madam Chair. Thank you. This item was actually continued from last week um, because the uh, increased amount to reflect the increase of 3% of rent uh, starting January. Um, it's the reason why we have to continue it for one week. And with that, and let's go to public com comments on this item. Yes, we now invite members of the public who have joined us today who wish to comment on this item number, number one uh, to line up to speak now along those windows. And uh, when you come forward to the lectern, uh, all speakers will be given two minutes to speak. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Thank you. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. With that, um, a colleague, I would like to, but before I make the motion to move this item forward to um, full board, Mr. Clerk, is it too late that to say that we would like to uh, have the public comments uh, limit to one minute today? Um, no. Uh, yeah, we haven't set the standard yet, Madam Chair. We can. 
Great. Yes. Um, let's uh, limit public comments today for the for the remaining of the meeting to one minute. And with that, and would like to also move the item to full board with recommendation. And with that, a roll, roll call, please. And on that motion to forward this ordinance to the full board with a positive recommendation. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. And the motion passes. Mr. Clerk, please call item number two. Yes, item number two is an ordinance retroactively authorizing the Office of Civic Engagement and Immigrant Affairs to accept and expend a grant in the amount of approximately 166000 from the Governor's Office of Business and Economic Development to support the expansion of immigrant integration efforts, increase community trust, and enhance the organizational capacity to support immigrant populations, and amending the annual salary ordinance for fiscal years 2023 to 24 and 2024 to 25 to provide for the addition of one grant-funded temporary class 1822 administrative analyst for the period of October 1st, 2023 through February 28th, 2025. Madam Chair. Thank you. Today we have Richard Whipple, Direct Deputy Director, Office of Civ Civic Engagement and Immigrant Affairs. Thank you, and the floor is yours. With you today, I'll just share a brief presentation about uh, this accept and expend request. So just as a reminder, the Office of Civic Engagement and Immigrant Affairs is part of the City Administrator's Office, and we are a policy, compliance, direct services, and grant-making agency within the city with the mission really about promoting inclusive policies um, and immigrant assistance programs for our immigrant communities. Here are our program areas. I know you're already familiar with some of our work, so I'll proceed. So this grant we received from the state of California, the Governor's Office of Business Development, and the grant program is called the Local Immigrant Integration and Inclusion Grant. Uh, it was a program really targeting local governments. And the funding, as noted here on this slide, is really available in a couple different areas, but really within the broader scope of supporting the economic inclusion and development of immigrant communities across the state. Before I get into the project that we proposed and the funding that we are receiving, I just wanted to pause quickly to remind us of the current landscape here, which I know you all are very well aware. First, I think it's important that we note the surge of newcomer asylum seekers. We, even though have not, we have not been the recipient of some of the buses that we've seen in other cities around the country, we still have seen a significant uptick in newcomer asylum seekers. In particular, this year, the school district has shared data with us that they have received over 1,500 newcomer students, uh, pardon me, last year, and nearly 1,000 so far this year, and we're only halfway through the academic year. And we know that this is only account of newcomer students, not their families, not their siblings who are not in the school district, and this represents uh, a high in the last 10 years or so. Additionally, our nonprofit partners have been reporting um, pretty significant surges in need for services. In particular, the San Francisco Immigrant Legal Defense Collaborative has a record wait list of over 600 individuals that are now waiting for immigration representation at the immigration court. Additionally, we all know that COVID-19 really disproportionately impacted our immigrant communities and that many of them still have not received the support and rebound that other communities have. And we also know that we're in the middle of a very contentious federal immigration policy landscape where programs like DACA, TPS, and others, including our asylum system, are facing attacks and potential dismantling in situations where folks might actually lose work authorization. 
So that kind of is driving the need of why we feel like this project in particular is important. So the project we proposed is the Immigrant Economic Inclusion Project. So this is a one-year grant award. And as mentioned in the ordinance, this will amend the annual salary ordinance to allow us to hire a one-year analyst, 1822, at about $165,000 to lead this project. And the project will essentially seek to address some of the concerns that we've been hearing from community around access to income opportunities and economic justice. So our project in particular will do a couple of different things as seen on this slide. One, we hope to develop a local economic inclusion toolkit for immigrants in particular. We hope to work regionally with our community partners and other city departments, especially OEWD and HSA and others to really uh, identify best practices and share them and collaborate more deeply. We hope to support existing cooperatives that have been funded through um, multiple departments in the city and make sure they have access to training and technical assistance opportunities. And then the thing I'm most excited about is really incubating new models um, in connection with our existing programming. So you may know that we operate a fellowship for immigrant youth. I think a lot of folks are really keen to look at what a cooperative might look like from that group of folks as well as the work we do around language access. And then lastly, we hope to partner with OEWD to identify, and community partners to identify um, workforce fairs and opportunities for folks, whether they're newcomers or longtime migrants. So that's kind of the overview and gist of the project and the presentation. I know you have a lot of other things on the agenda, so I will stop there. Supervisor Malgar. Thank you. I do have uh, to ask about your, the sort of overall scope. Uh, so I uh, totally support the work that your office is doing, um, and I'm concerned because, um, you know, uh, in District 7, we have seen a very big increase in uh, particularly migrants from Venezuela, Ecuador, and Nicaragua um, who are living in their vehicles um, because there is such a acute shortage of housing. And folks are getting work, and we integrate them into the workforce, but we are not good at integrating them into housing. Um, we have a shelter at Buena Vista Juarez Man School that supports folks, most of whom are newcomers with children in the public schools, but we don't seem to not have a plan for how to integrate folks into housing. And we know that school success and work success for folks, like it doesn't work unless you have a stable housing situation. Mm -hmm. So can you address, um, you know, if any of these funds will support that or if uh, at least they'll support uh, planning for a work plan that includes that? Because I think it's really important. Yeah, thank you for that question. We've been working with uh, DHSH and other agencies and community partners in monthly convenings to talk about this, and you've hit it exactly on the head. We've heard loud and clear from folks that housing is a huge issue. This funding from the state is very specifically for like economic inclusion and integration, but we absolutely are planning to integrate that with the work that we already do. So we've been meeting with folks at Buena Vista Horace Mann. We've been meeting with folks from different city agencies. Uh, we are trying to explore, and I think part of this person's workload can be exploring other innovative models. We've even been looking at opportunities to work uh, with, you know, higher education campuses that might have, like, temporary available spaces. We've been looking at other models to look at hosted housing. Um, there's, there's a lot that we hope to embark on, and we just don't have the staffing for. So absolutely, that will be integrated in this work plan. Thank you, Supervisor Malgar. Um, 
Similarly, I, I think that I, my question is more specific to the slide that in your presentation, it does not have a page number, but on mine it's page uh, slide seven, um, indicating a developed local economic inclusion toolkit. Yes. Um, could you walk me through what that means and what it is? Yeah, I think uh, what we've been doing already with OEWD is trying to gather a sense of all different programs funded by the city that are open to folks regardless of status and available to immigrant communities. So I think it's expanding on that work to really have a very clear understanding citywide of what's available and what can be built on. I think sometimes the city agencies, we don't always know exactly what everyone else is doing. So making sure there's a central place and toolkit where we can share the fellowship programs that we operate while also highlighting, for example, the cooperatives funded by OEWD or HSA is very valuable. We're mindful that newcomers, it might take a while to get work authorization. As you may know, asylum application is a first step towards getting a temporary work authorization but it's a long wait to get folks um, asylum applications in. And then after that, it's a 150 days waiting period until folks can apply for that. So uh, we're looking at everything from the day labor program that we fund to the fellowship programs we operate and others across the city and trying to infuse that with relevant information about getting ITINs, finding other work opportunities, connecting to the day labor program. So I think this toolkit is all about connecting the city's various existing resources and making sure that that's readily available to, to caseworkers, city employees, and stakeholders. Can I make a suggestion? Please. Uh, I, I think that there are fields that like because I, I, I think not just that I myself have been through the process and I'm so fortunate to be growing up in Chinatown where like the community itself have its own established network really a lot, lot of time actually through churches and through like family associations and you know decades long of history there. Um, I, I wanna say, you know, ID, like most people actually do, do not know that there's a San Francisco ID, San Francisco specific ID that they can get from our county clerk. I think within the package to talk about like education, which is access to city college courses where people can actually take them, uh, especially that those who are immigrants will need English courses uh, to, to begin with so that they can actually learn the language and, and get um, uh, jobs. Uh, there are actually trades program with City College of San Francisco that they should really be in one in the toolkit. And I definitely think that there should be like banking with our treasurer's um, office that actually have information about how do you open a bank account. Like, and, and I mm -hmm. think that's like part of what economic inclusion kit is about. But definitely, I think what your office and your team has done which is such a wonderful job, is the pathway to citizenship. At the end of the day, like how do we get them landed, you know, after that 150 days that they're continuing to have legal assistance to, to feel safe mm -hmm. and know that they're, they're here and they can have access to not just services, but eventually to, to that pathway to citizenship. So I look forward to seeing and learning more about that toolkit. Like I would love to test it out myself and just to see how it goes. Thank you. That's Thank a great you. Idea. And seeing no other um, names on the roster, let's go to public comments on this item. Yes, we invite members of the public who have joined us today who wish to speak on this item to line up now along those windows. Uh, if you want to provide comment on this item number two. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Thank you. Seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. Colleagues, I would like to move this item to full board with recommendations. So a roll call, please. And on that motion to forward to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Malgar. Malgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you, and the motion passes.
With that, please call item number three. Item number three is a resolution approving, in accordance with the Internal Revenue Code, the issuance of a tax-exempt and or taxable revenue obligation hand sale by the California Municipal Finance Authority of its revenue bonds for the benefit of the Ignatian Corporation in an aggregate principal amount not to exceed $150 million for the purpose of financing the costs of re renovations and improvements to and construction of school facilities and other certain matters uh, relating thereto as defined. Madam Chair. Thank you, and today we have Keith um, Savini, uh, Controller's Office. Yep, good morning, Supervisors. Keith Savini from the Controller's Office of Public Finance. Thank you for considering this resolution today. Uh, a representative from St. Ignatius College Preparatory is also available to speak in more detail about the school or the project if there are questions. As a brief reminder for the committee and the public, the Tax Equity and Fiscal Responsibility Act is called TEFRA for short, and it allows for certain types of debt to be issued on a tax-exempt basis by nonprofit organizations through joint powers authorities. This resolution is before you today because federal tax law requires that the governing body of the jurisdiction in which the project is located approve the financing and the project before the bonds can be issued. The resolution is for the Ignatian Corporation, which is a California nonprofit religious corporation and the operator of a private college preparatory school, commonly known as St. Ignatius College Preparatory. The debt will be issued through the California Municipal Finance Authority, which is a joint powers authority to which the city is a participating member. Pursuant to the federal TEFRA regulations, a public hearing notice was published on the city's public notices website on January 10th. The hearing was held by the Office of Public Finance via a toll-free teleconference on January 18th. No comments from any members of the public were heard or received through the public hearing process. The bond proceeds will be loaned to the Ignatian Corporation in a total amount not to exceed $150 million in order to finance the cost of renovations and improvements at the school's campus located at 2001 37th Avenue in District 4 to fund a debt service reserve fund and capitalize interest if required. The current financing schedule calls for the bonds to be issued this June. Uh, an important reminder is that the debt obligations will be payable from and secured solely by amounts received from or on behalf of the Ignatian Corporation. The city is not liable or obligated for repayment of the debt. That concludes my presentation. As I mentioned, there's a representative from the school if there are specific questions about the project. Thank you. I think, in fact, Supervisor Malgar was the sponsor uh, for the Chinese American International School for the very similar bond measure, which I was a co-sponsor too. So I think we're familiar with um, just this method supporting our schools in San Francisco so that they can continue and move forward with capital improvements. Um, I know that there was uh, public cons like comments concerning that requesting for a one-week continuance just so that they can have more public comments, but um, I, I am, I'm, I am uh, inclined to entertain it to to say let's continue for one week, um, just to see if there's any more concerns and there any more comments. Uh, it's it's a rather large project and expansion, but I, um, I, I I personally do not have any questions nor concerns. Um, so I I am. 
going to open this for public comments because I don't see any questions from my colleagues or Vice Chairman or Supervisor Malkar. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, Chair Chan, so I did have an opportunity to speak to um, Supervisor Angardio, whose district this is in, um, and he did request that we not uh, continue it. Not. Um, and so, yeah. Yes. And so out of deference to him, because he is, it is his um, district, and, and he had specifically requested it, um, you know, we do, it is not agendized as a committee report, so folks can, you know, um, still send us concerns. Um, anyway, I, I just wanted to tell you that I did have that conversation. Thank you. Good to know. I, I mean, I think that, as I indicated earlier, I personally do not have any concerns about it. This actually, again, we have done something very similar. The city is, in, it's, a, it's a technical uh, pathway for private schools in San Francisco to receive that assistance. We have done that for other schools already. Uh, and if it's concerning about the project itself, I think that's a different process of you know, going through to, to, to talk to the school about it and, and figuring out a, a different pathway. Uh, but I, I don't see this as a uh, issue, at least for me to issue um, the revenue bonds. Vice uh, Chair Mandelman. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. I think, yeah, as you've both suggested, this is a pretty common type of resolution that we standardly approve without um, a whole lot of discussion. So unless there's a compelling reason uh, to continue to week, I would be disinclined to do that. Okay. Then why don't we go to public comment and then to see uh, what we are hearing and then we can make the decisions. Uh, with that, let's go to public comment. Thank you, Madam Chair, members of the public who have joined us today and uh, who wish to speak on this item number three and uh, address this committee. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Thank you, seeing no public comment. Public comment is now closed. Supervisor Malkar. So I'd like to make a motion that we send this item forward with a, a positive recommendation from this committee. Thank you, and with that, a roll call, please. And on that motion by Member Melgar to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you, and the motion passes. And with that, uh, let's go to item number four. Item number four is a resolution authorizing the Department of the Environment to enter into a grant agreement with the California Department of Pesticide Regulation, or DPR. That includes DPR's standard dispute resolution process, under which a court would give deference to the DPR director's determination in a dispute between DPR and the city with a term starting upon approval of this grant agreement through December 31st, 2025, or when the final deliverable is received, whichever is earlier, in an amount not to exceed approximately 321,000. Madam Chair. Thank you, it's good to see you. Um, uh, Charles Sheehan, Chief Policy Officer, Department of Environment. Uh, thank you, Chair Chan and members of the committee. Um, we're here today to talk about our um, grant agreement with the California Department of Pesticide Regulation. Um, High-level context, we're talking about integrated pest management, also known as IPM. Um, IPM is an approach that reduces pest populations while minimizing the impact on human health and environmental health. It's a widely used approach throughout the world. 
and it can be used for all sorts of pests, your weeds on your soccer field to the mice in the attic. In 2019, we won a grant, a competitive research grant from the California Department of Pesticide Regulation, and we wanted to use this grant to assess, research, analyze, look back at the pest proofing and the pest prevention by design we did in the RAD housing projects. And we found that this grant and the research that it funded, we found that all of our strategies, the things that we had undertaken with the affordable housing developers, um, were successful in reducing pest populations. So fast forward to 2023, we won a new grant from DPR to kind of expand this approach, this IPM model for affordable housing, um, to include more affordable housing facilities, and to work with the staff, the maintenance staff, to build capacity so they could integrate it into their kind of daily routines, their daily maintenance routines. And so today we're here um, uh, seeking approval for the grant agreement. <clears throat> DPR requires that the grant, include, the grant agreement include their standard dispute resolution language, not the city's uh, dispute resolution language. And so we are requesting uh, authorization, approval to enter into that grant agreement that includes DPR's standard dispute resolution language. That's pretty much it. I'll pause to see if anyone has any questions. Vice Chair Mendelman. Um, thank you, Madam Chair. Of course, uh, we would love it if the world would allow us to use the language that we want to in all of our contracts. Unfortunately, um, uh, governments with which we, we must do business uh, sometimes refuse to do that. And so I, you know, in those situations, we uh, either back down or, um, or don't, do the, don't do the work. But um, I do think that this is uh, a good grant and good work by the Department of the Environment, and I would like to add myself as a co-sponsor. Thank you. And with that, uh, we'll go to public comment on this item. Members of the public who joined us today are now invited to approach the lectern if they wish to speak on this item number four. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Thank you, and seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. And with that, we'd like to move this item uh, to full board with recommendation and with the co-sponsorship co from Vice Chair Mendelman. And on that motion to forward to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you, and the motion passes. And colleagues, let's go to item number five. Yes, item number five is a resolution authorizing the execution and delivery of multifamily housing revenue notes in one or more series in an aggregate principal amount not to exceed approximately 67.7 million for the purpose of providing financing for the construction of a 151 unit multifamily rental housing project known as Transbay Block 2 West located at 200 Folsom Street approving the form of and, and authorizing the execution of a funding loan agreement providing the terms and conditions of the construction loan from the funding lender to the city in the execution and delivery of the notes, approving the form of and authorizing the execution of a project loan agreement 
uh, providing the terms and conditions of the construction loan from the city to the borrower, uh, approving the form of and authorizing the execution of a regulatory agreement and declaration of restrictive covenants for the project, authorizing the collection of certain fees, approving for purposes of the Internal Revenue Code of 1986 as amended, the issuance and sale of residential mortgage revenue notes by the city in an aggregate principal amount not to exceed approximately 67.7 million, approving modifications, changes, and additions to the documents, ratifying and approving any action that heretofore taken in connection with the funding loan, the project loan, and notes of the project as defined, granting general authority to city officials to take actions necessary to implement this resolution and related matters as defined within. Madam Chair. Thank you, and we have uh, OCII here. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Chair Chan, Vice Chair Mandelman, and Committee Member Melgar. My name is Jasmine Quo. I'm a Development Specialist with the Office of Community Investment and Infrastructure, or OCII. I'm here to present on item five for the affordable housing development um, located in Transbay, known as Transbay Block 2 West. Uh, so the purpose of, um, of the resolution before you is to approve the issuance of multifamily um, housing revenue bonds for Transbay Block 2 West. And it's important to note that this bond transaction is conduit financing, which does not require the city uh, to pledge any of its funds to the repayment of the bond. Uh, first, a, a brief background on the Transbay Redevelopment Project area. The Transbay Redevelopment Plan was approved in 2005 with the intent of creating a new mixed-use, mixed-income neighborhood um, by alleviating blight caused by the freeway demolition following the 1989 Loma Prieta earthquake. The project is split into two zones. Zone one is administered and implemented by OCII, and zone two is under the jurisdiction of the uh, planning department. Overall, OCII is obligated to provide 35% affordability in the project area. To date, zone one, um, OCII has overseen the completion of over 2,000 residential units, of which over 700 are affordable units. Transbay Block 2 West, or sorry, Transbay Block 2 is one of the few remaining um, development sites in Zone 1 and critical to meeting the overall affordability uh, requirement. The block is comprised of two distinct projects known as 2 West and 2 East, both of which will be 100% affordable housing with each project individually financed, owned, and operated. 2 West will be a project serving senior households and 2 East will serve family households. In 2020, Chinatown Community Development Center, or CCDC, and Mercy Housing California were selected as co-developers for 2 West and 2 East, respectively, through a competitive request for proposals process. In April 2023, the permanent loan from OCII uh, was approved by the Citywide Affordable Housing Loan Committee, and later in August, the 2 West project was awarded a bond allocation. And then finally, this past month, um, on January 16th, OCII Commission approved the OCII permanent loan and ground lease for 2 West. Block 2 West will be a new 151-unit affordable housing development for seniors and seniors experiencing homelessness. Of the 151 units, 150 units will be available to households earning between 15% to 50% um, of the area median income, and one unit will be set aside as a manager's unit. 30 units serving formerly homeless seniors will be supported through the city's local operating subsidy program. 
or LOSP and 60 units serving extremely low-income seniors will be subsidized by the city's Senior Operating Subsidy Program, also known as SOS. Uh, the total development cost for the project is expected to be $125 million. The resolution before you today is for up to $67.7 million. Construction of Block 2 West will begin um, early next month in March and is expected to be completed by January 2026. Um, at this time, I can answer any questions committee members may have. Also available from, uh, for questions from CCDC, we have Abigail Brown, uh, the project manager for 2 West. And with your approval today, the project is on track to close on construction financing um, next month and uh, begins construction. So I thank you for your consideration. Thank you. Um, I don't see any name on the roster. I also do not have questions for today. We appreciate the project. Um, and with that, let's go to public comments on this. Thank you, Madam Chair. We invite members of the public uh, who wish to uh, address this committee regarding uh, item number five to approach the lectern now. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Thank you. Seeing no pu public comments, public comment is now closed. Vice Chairman Domen. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, thanks uh, for the presentation and for your work. Uh, and. Uh, Exciting to see this moving forward. I'd like to be added as a co-sponsor for this item. Thank you. And with that, let's go to um, let's go to roll call for the motion to move this forward with uh, to recommendation. And on that motion to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. The motion passes. And let's go to item number six. Item number six is an ordinance waiving the fee required by the Public Works Code for temporary street space occupancy permits in the Chinatown neighborhood from Saturday, January 27, 2024 through Saturday, February 10, 2024 to promote sidewalk sales and merchandise during the Lunar New Year holiday season and affirming the Planning Department's determination under CEQA. Madam Chair. Thank you. Today we have Mr. Bruce Robertson here from the Department of Public Works um, answering questions. Please. Uh, good morning, Supervisors. Bruce Robertson, CFO, uh, Public Works Department. Um, as stated, this is fairly pro forma legislation where we will be waiving temporary occupancy fees for merchants in the Chinatown area to set up um, expanded sales on the sidewalks. This will impact the department by about $16,000. Um, we will have staff out there to ensure public right-of-way and access on the sidewalks. We do have money in our budget to cover these costs, since this is something that we have certainly done before. Um, I know the Office of Economic and Workforce Development has worked with community partners in the Chinatown neighborhood and has done extensive outreach on this. And, and with that, I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. Yes, because that this ordinance is, I believe, because it says that start Saturday, January 27 through February 10th, 2024, which is this coming Saturday, I would think that we would need to insert the word retroactive uh, throughout the ordinance. Um, so I think that's a question back to Deputy City Attorney Sarah Crowley. Could you help us um, understand if, we, if it's, I, I would think it's necessary, but I just wanna. Um. Deputy City Attorney Sarah Crowley, I agree with you, Chair Chan, that retroactive should be inserted. I don't think that would be a substantive amendment because it's 
it would be implicit that it's retroactive without that word, but I think it helps clarify. Sounds good. So um, I would like to make the amendments to insert the um, word retroactive, uh, at least for the long title, uh, and whenever that is necessary to reflect the time period uh, to issue the permit. Um, and uh, with that, uh, Vice Chair Mandelman. Thank you, uh, Chair Chan. And I, um, I mean, of course, I support this. I would uh, perhaps predictably like to be added as a co-sponsor to this item. I also do think that, um, I mean, even in a time of uh, budgetary uh, tightening, um, I think the activation of our sidewalks is, um, you know, an important thing. And I think. I mean, obviously, it, is, uh, it then becomes a cost for someone, but I think that uh, as we move forward, I think, you know, I, I lingeringly have the desire to, uh, you know, as we discussed a little bit in passing during last year's budget process, um, you know, to waive the tables and chairs fees. I think there are street fairs uh, and other activations around the city that end up spending a huge amount of money um, just, you know, to deliver what is actually in a lot of ways a public good. And I think it would behoove the, the mayor's office and this board, even in difficult times, to be thinking about ways to be supporting um, activities that are part of um, what makes San Francisco as our district, our, uh, our district four colleague, Mike, might say, a more joyful place. So um, I'd like to co-sponsor this, and uh, thanks, everyone, for working on it. Supervisor Malgar. Amen, Supervisor Mandelman. Um, I will. Uh, I would like to be added as a co-sponsor, please. Thank you. And uh, with that, okay, go ahead. Thank you, Madam Chair. Diana Ponce de Leon with the Office of Economic and Workforce Development. I just wanted to clarify. Thank you for raising the retroactive language. That's included already, I believe, in the last clause um, in the document, the ordinance. Let's uh, reflect it in the long title, just Thank so you. that we, we know. <laughs> Appreciate that. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, with that, let's uh, go to public comments on this item. Yes, members of the public have now joined us today who wish to speak on this item number six. Now's your opportunity to approach the lectern and address this committee. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Thank you, and seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. Colleagues, I'd like to first, um, actually, I'm gonna make that in one motion. I would like to um, move to amend uh, the legislation, both on the long and short title, uh, to indicate that this legislation is retroactive, and with, with the amended version that we will send it to full board with recommendation, uh, a roll call, please. And on that motion, to amend the ordinance to add retroactive language to the titles, to both short and long titles, and to forward, the, uh, forward that ordinance to the full board with a positive recommendation as amended. Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you, and the motion passes. And with that, uh, let's go to item number seven. Item number seven is an ordinance amending the administrative code to extend by five years from May 1st, oh sorry, May 5th, 2024 through May 5th, 2029, the sunset date of the provisions authorizing the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing to enter into and amend contracts without requiring competitive bidding for services relating to sites and programs 
for people experiencing homelessness and the Department of Public Works to enter into and amend contracts without adhering to the Environment Code or to provisions relating to competitive bidding, equal benefits, uh, local business enterprise utilization, and other requirements for construction work and services relating to projects addressing homelessness and affirming the planning department's uh, determination under CEQA. Madam Chair. Thank you, and today we have the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing here. And would you like to come forward? I don't know who would like to present on this item. Good, or good morning, Chair Chan, members of the committee. Emily Cohen, Deputy Director at the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. We are back before you today with an ordinance that would extend um, the streamlined contracting provisions that were authorized five years ago unanimously by this board to expedite the process of constructing and opening homeless service sites. This ordinance has been absolutely instrumental in the ability of the Department of Homelessness to spend the increased investments that we've received in homelessness over the past five years and to ultimately reduce unsheltered homelessness by 15% over the last three years. We have used this ordinance judiciously and have developed really strong internal processes for an alternative contracting process that we think is very successful at selecting the best provider for the project and moving forward as quickly as possible. I'm joined by my colleagues from Public Works today as well to talk about the construction component of this work as necessary, but this ordinance requests a five-year extension of the existing contracting provisions authorized to HSH. And I wanna thank the chair, her staff, the controller's office, the office of the city administrator, um, Office of Contract Administration, all for working with us on this ordinance. I know the chair has some amendments to that we have worked on. They are far more restrictive than HSH is still comfortable with, but we do appreciate the collaboration and the opportunity that that amendment process gave us to talk through the importance of this ordinance and to um, really work closely with our colleagues from other departments to gather their expertise. So again, we are really appreciative of that opportunity and are still committed or interested in moving forward the original ordinance. Thank you. I, I, I think, uh, colleagues, I think uh, this is actually before Supervisor Malgar joining this uh, committee. We first heard it uh, the item in December. Um, at, that mo at that time, I personally, like I, I just want to speak for myself, expressed concerns with the length of the request exemption that was quite blanketed. And it was uh, without any type of conditions and just, um, and just to say, with issues like United Council um, uh, supposedly, you know, providing homelessness uh, services and supportive uh, services, yet resulted in a, a very regrettable um, situation um, that gives gave me a lot of thinking and pause to think that if we should continue a blanketed waiver without going to bids for goods and professional services and contract. Um, 
And, but I really appreciate, you know, Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing team um, recognizing that concerns and working with us and, and, and my office and from, with Francis Shea to really just drill down and narrow the scope of the waiver so that the department can wind down contracts that have not been competitively bid, uh, and, but then also allow that same time period for you to ramp up your internal administrative capacity, um, which is expected uh, to hopefully um, increase in the next two years. This is also come a time where the civil grand jury report um, to, to, again, you know, poking holes around the contracting, um, not just the delivery and performance, uh, clearly points to some of the uh, competitive, the lack of competitive bidding process. So with that, I, I appreciate um, everyone working together on this amendment. Um, I think that it's before you here today. Just wanna make sure you have, okay. Uh, so colleagues and before you uh, is to really, instead of providing this blanketed um, uh, amendments, uh, uh, waiver, I should say, is that we're going to amend, uh, enter a new contract and grants with the terms of no more than two years without requiring competitive bidding. So anything that it's like with not requiring competitive bidding, then they can, th then it's limited to two year contract term. But those that actually had the original me uh, the method of procurement uh, will be up to five years. So that's kind of where we're going. I, I think that also, to be clear though, this does not uh, waive the 9.118, the charter 9.118 for any contract that has to come before us for appro final approval. So um, it's the, the amendments before you is both on the page one, um, line three through 13. I'm gonna read it out loud just so that we're clear what the amendments are, um, is to uh, strike out the original blanket amendment to extend by five years. Now is to enter into contracts and grants with terms of no more than two years. Then again, line eight, provided such contracts are ex executed before May 5th, 2025, authorizing HSH, in this case, Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing, to amend contracts and grants for projects addressing homelessness that are in effect as of May 4th, 2024, to extend their terms for up to five years, depending on the method of original procurement, and authorize the Department of Public Works to enter into an amend contract until May 5th, 2026 without adhering to the environment code or to provision relating to competitive bidding, equal benefits, local business enterprise utilization, and on. So this is also a two parts waiver. It's not just a waiver for HSH. It is also a waiver for Department of Public Works um, going into contract without bids um, in the related to the department's project. So those are the, that is the uh, overall um, amendment. And then you will see subsequently on page four, line 17, uh, through to page five, line 19, uh, continuing to just really uh, describing that process. And then, uh, and but also to provide an annual reporting on this um, 
the procurement or the, or, or the lack of um, what they end up with starting from page five and then also the sunset provision specifically about the time is page six, line nine, uh, and then through page seven, uh, line four through 10. So with that, I see that there are questions. Uh, Supervisor Malgar. Thank you, uh, Chair Chan. Uh, I first uh, want to thank you very much for the time and thoughtfulness that you have and you and your staff uh, have uh, spent uh, working with the department and preparing these amendments. Um, I do uh, still have uh, questions and concerns, and I'm hoping that we can, you know, air it out and try to get to some something that works with everyone. Um, so. You know, for the past uh, four years, uh, this department was both, um, you know, flying the plane and fixing it because it's a, still a fairly new department. So I understand uh, issues around contracting and procurement, you know, like it was a big ramp up. Um, and then the pandemic hit and we got a bunch of federal money um, and also uh, experienced a vast increase in folks being unhoused that needed to be provided shelter. So uh, that being said, you know, I am the District 7 supervisor. I represent a big chunk of the west side of town. Um, we just happen to have <laughs> all of the west side supervisors here today. Um, and it has, you know, our area of town has not really been prioritized by the department. We certainly have not seen the level of investment in terms of capital projects or programs. Um, and our homelessness in our side of town does look different than it does uh, on the east side of town. And so, you know, uh, I still remain committed to finding a safe parking uh, site. Uh, I know Supervisor Engardio does as well. Um, I want to make sure that this department has all the tools that it needs to do it quickly and efficiently uh, when we are able to work out. Uh, but I haven't seen it prioritized, frankly. And I, in you know, I'm reluctant to, you know, give you tools if it's not going to lead to what uh, my constituents expect of me. So um, I uh, understood uh, all of uh, Chair Chan's uh, logic and where she explained um, the amendments, but I don't understand the departments. So I would be, it would, I would be grateful if you could come up and explain why you need uh, five years as opposed to two years and specifically how that would help the west side because you know i do think we earlier in this uh, agenda we heard from uh, the you know uh, folks working on immigrant uh, economic development issues and integrating refugees um, and so that is the bulk of the folks experiencing houselessness uh, on the west side and it has not been prioritized by anyone and i uh, i know that we have the shelter at bvhm I worked on that before I became supervisor, but that's it. We don't have much. And so um, I want to understand how, how this tool relates to, uh, you know, uh, the work plan that is still unmet. Thank you, Chair. Through the Chair, thank you, Supervisor Melgar, for that question. I, I think you are absolutely right. We've seen an increase in refugees, uh, newcomer families, particularly families seeking services 
from the homeless response system and it is has put an extreme strain on our resources in terms of just having the capacity we need to meet our community's need and the ability to expand to meet the needs that we are seeing at our front door require us to have this ability to move things quickly for example um, temporary use sites I know we've been talking a lot about a vehicle triage center or safe parking program on the west side. If we are to find a, temporary, a temporarily available lot or parcel to do that, for example, if it is available for us for one year but we have to go through a traditional procurement process, we will never be able to open something quickly, stand it up, and serve the community, and then wind it down in time for a developer to break ground or whatever the interim use might be. So this is an incredibly essential tool to moving quickly. It is essential to expanding our family system because if we don't get the length of time we need, like the three to five years that we are talking about for this authorization, we end up needing to repurpose all of our staff time to making amendments to existing contracts rather than moving forward new projects. So this will result in significant delays to all new projects in the queue while our staff time is dedicated to amendments. And one of the challenges I think with the, the amendments proposed by Chair Chan is the bifurcation of the system. You know, it, it creates the, um, sort of a false separation of contracts based on how they were originally entered into, rather than on the system that they are a part of. Because as we move forward, we want to be able to do a housing reprocurement. We want to be able to do a shelter reprocurement. But if they're all on, based on how an original contract was developed, they are on separate timelines. It's going to make it very hard for us to ultimately get into a strong and consistent reprocurement cadence, which is the goal of our multi-year procurement plan. Um, through the chair, just let me play devil's advocate here a little bit because, you know, uh, in talking to folks uh, who uh, are in the advocacy community around, you know, f you know, uh, meeting the needs of our houseless population, the issue seems to be, you know, the sole sourcing uh, of, you know, just a handful of providers that you have right now. Um, and, you know, I will just speak for myself in District 7, we did experience, you know, this um, issue where in trying to meet the needs of the folks living on vehicles, the uh, contractor that you, that was, you know, sole sourced by the department didn't have language capacity, didn't have cultural capacity. And so, you know, my worry is, you know, uh, about properly expanding the pool uh, for you know organizations that uh, meet the needs of the population but also are you know financially sound and all of the stuff that we want to see given the not just our budget deficit but the level of corruption that we've seen you know in in past years um, and you know I frankly I was surprised for example that you know Felton Institute you know was granted a huge contract last year in the middle of a very large you know uh, union fight uh, in, in another place in their program so you know it does make me wonder uh, if um, by allowing you to, uh, you know, continue this, and I understand it makes it easier and faster, and we all want that, uh, but if it's also not enabling um, sort of this system where it's uh, sort of a handful of hand-picked, um, you know, uh, 
partners that may or may not meet the needs of the constituencies that I'm trying to help. I'm so, um, through the chair, Supervisor Melgar, I am so glad that you brought that up because one of the most important things that this ordinance has allowed us to do through our um, streamlined procurement process is to greatly diversify and expand our provider pool. We were seeing a real challenge with the city's traditional procurement process that sort of downtown-based white-led organizations were far more likely to be successful in the city's competitive procurement process. This ordinance allows us to go directly to smaller, more culturally competent, linguistically competent organizations and invite them in to respond to a solicitation of interest and to work with them to become a competitive organization when it comes to the city contracting process. So this has actually been a huge tool for us to expand the number of providers so that we no longer just have this handful of providers largely based downtown, but we are being able to contract with neighborhood-based organizations and organizations with much greater cultural competency and, you know, in some ways make partnerships with organizations that have deep ex expertise in property management, for instance, but lack the cultural competency to serve queer youth. We're able to bring them together and work with them on a contract or on a project that really leverages everybody's strengths. And without this flexibility, it is much, much harder to do that. And one of my big concerns is losing cultural competency if we lose this authority. Just one last clarification. So you're saying that if uh, these contracts were competitively bid, the smaller culturally competent nonprofit organizations would be at a disadvantage? I would say historically are like, before the five years began of the existing ordinance or the existing authority that we had a much harder time bringing in small neighborhood-based and culturally competent organizations because they were often less competitive in the city's process. This authority really helps us bring them in and support them better to work with the population. Okay, and we have data about that? Yes, okay. I can provide that. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Malgar, Vice Chair Mendelman. Thank you, Chair Chan. Um, I, um, I spent a lot of time thinking about the ways in which San Francisco city government is broken. And one of the ways in which we are broken is that we can't hire anybody. And the other way in which we're broken is that we can't contract with anybody. And those are both gross exaggerations. We do hire people, we do contract with people, but we do it in ways that don't actually meet the needs of our city government or of the people that we serve. The reason, there are lots of reasons why our procurement processes are complicated. Um, some of them are about giving expression to values that were important to us in the 1980s or the 1990s or last year or today. Um, some of them are about a notion that particular uh, methods of procurement are likely to um, get more competition, but in a lot of ways, they, 
I think actually get less. And I think, I think about this every time I see a public works project or a PUC project that takes forever with a contractor who if we were really looking at how well they had performed over time, we would never agree to contract with them again. But actually they're one of the very few contractors that is able to get through all the hoops and is familiar with San Francisco's processes in a way that allow them to submit a bid that even though it bears nothing, no resemblance to what the ultimate cost of the project will be because they are familiar with how to game our system and they will keep our city attorneys busy litigating, um, manage to give us a product at some point, even though the neighbors are screaming at all of us, the project is delivered two years late, and the cost is nothing like what we got through a supposedly transparent competitive bidding process. Now, nonetheless, I think the concern is we don't want you all just going out and finding your cousin and seeing if your cousin wants to open up a homeless serving facility and giving them a contract to do it. That's what we're trying to avoid. Now, we still do some of that. I think, even with our you know, incredibly cumbersome projects. But I, would, I, I think, and I think we've talked about this a little bit before, you are attuned to this problem. You don't want to be giving out contracts to people who can't perform. You don't want to be working with providers that, um, that can't get the job done. So you have some processes that are competitive, even if they don't exactly meet uh, you know, the 3,000 other requirements that we've spelled out in detail that actually create a less competitive process. So if you could talk for a minute about how you work to get us the best deal or the most effective provider, even with all, um, without the, uh, the requirements of a so-called competitive process that would otherwise apply. Thank you, Supervisor Mandelman, through the chair. I think you raise a really important question about how we, under this authorization, how we select the optimal provider for any one project. And so we've developed a solicitation process internally that still requires all of the authorities granted in the ordinance to do, but looks at past, you know, we still are asking people to submit proposals under solicitation of interest. They are providing, but you know, proposed budgets. They, we're looking at their past performance and how they've looked at, how they've done operated other programs under HSH contracts. We are looking at their program design for the proposed project and looking at their cultural competency, neighborhood, um, engagement, things of that nature. So we are still evaluating these projects. We're looking for cost reasonableness in their budgets, and we are looking at past performance and ability to work with the population. We do, you know, that is the major how the majority of our initiatives are now contracted. And I'm gonna turn it over to Public Works to talk a little bit about their process as well. Good morning, uh, Supervisors. Bruce Robertson, once again, from Public Works. Uh, we have a very detailed process, and the, the first thing we do is we get an independent external cost estimator to give us a sense of what we think the construction cost will be with any of these projects. The second thing we do is we actually do post it on the city website, the Public Works website, so we get a solicitation, and we make sure we get at least three responses. So we're still looking for some competitiveness as well, and then we choose the lowest bidder. And that's the, even with the waiver authority that we're giving you. Correct. Even with that, we still post on the city website. We let our colleagues in, in CMD know. So we try to put it and just really truncate some of the solicitation processes. 
and then we just post it and then we go through the, the lower bid. The big time saver for public works is the time that it takes to go before the commission and some of the approvals on, on the back end. The 14B is waived. I will also say that we are, because of our outreach to um, the nonprofit, the, not the nonprofit, the LBE community, that some of our prime vendors have been registered LBEs with the city. So we were mentioning the vehicle triage center. That was one of the examples as well. Thank you. Thank you. I, let, me, let me say a few things about both the so-called more diversity. I definitely look forward to seeing more data of how you uh, con concluded that it's now you have more diverse, I want to say diverse options. Uh, it, according to you, that those options are more culturally competent um, and would love to see how you, A, uh, metrics of measuring those like service providers are actually more culturally competent uh, and how do you rank them to be so. Um, and. I think what is bothering me quite a bit, and I do not expect you to discuss that publicly because, again, it's pending investigation, but it, what bothers me is really the, the United Council of Human Services issue. I mean, if you want to speak on it, you, you're absolutely welcome to, cause, but, but that is a really glaring example that I find it, like, went too far. Like, it went too far in a sense where it is... Um, it's it went too far. It's it's a it's an issue that now it's in the hands of FBI investigation because of you know wasteful spending and you know financial mismanagement. Um, it, it's 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 clearly that that something went wrong. I don't know how and when. Um, you know we didn't know about it until 2017 through an audit. Um, but it's it's what's bothering some. And then on the on the other hand, it's. It's the reason why we reached, or I propose, uh, and working with your office and with your departments, and to say, okay, then let's tear up these contracts. You know, let's keep what is you know going on right now, and, and see how we can continue and making sure. But either way, though, in the civil grand jury um, report, the department is committed to transition itself to to comply like everyone else, to go through a competitive bidding process. If competitive bidding process in San Francisco is broken, as Vice Chair Mandelman indicated, fix the competitive bidding process, not to throw the entire process away. And I think that we've been, I mean, in fact, I think that we, quote, unquote, have banned travel, so we fixed, we lifted the ban for, you know, uh, doing business for the banned travel and been doing uh, business with certain states. Um, and then we lifted the ban, but we still haven't really figured out the ways that we could make sure that San Francisco dollars go to places where we want it to go. Either way, I, I, think, I think there's, fix and tweaks, but not a blanket waiver. That's just not where I'm at. I'm never gonna be a blanket waiver. That, that, that I would just be very clear about that. I'm happy to have a conversation about how to transition the department into a space where it will comply with competitive bidding. Because again, uh, the market itself tells us that it, it's not just about uh, homelessness services, but any kind of services that the city has. Competitive bidding is how we get the best dollar for best product, that we know what is out there. And so it's out there to compete, and let's figure it out. And if it's saying that we need some services that are culturally competent, set your RFP so. 
set your bit, set your bit so, set your requirements so. So I, I, it's one of those things that I, I, I find it uh, not justifiable. Just set your RFP the way that you need it to be com culturally competent is to fix the bidding process, not to just waive it. It's not fair to public dollars to be wasted and spent that way. Um, I don't see any name on the roster, but Director McSpadden, please. Yes, good morning, Chair Chan, Supervisors. Um, Shereen McSpadden, Executive Director of the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. And um, Chair Chan, I want to thank you for the dialogue and for your work with us through this process. It's been um, really helpful as we've negotiated and on the various points. I think that you know, you're bringing up United Council, which actually doesn't even fit into this process. That was a contract that we actually inherited when the department became a department. Everything that um, happened with that organization actually was procured, and so this wouldn't fit into that process. Um, we also were concerned about that and worked really hard to figure out how to get a new contractor in who had cultural competency who could really be strong enough to take on the population that needed to be served and we were really trying to do that from the perspective of the people who had been served and needed to continue to be served in the community. We absolutely are very focused on bringing on new providers who provide both language capacity as well as cultural capacity and cultural responsiveness. Um, we focused a lot on organizations that really work um, from a perspective of people experiencing homelessness, and we've gotten a lot stronger in that area. Supervisor Melgar, I'm really sorry that we had an issue with, um, initially with the folks out there on Winston and around Lake Merced. That was our fault, and, and that is not who we are as a department, and that's not who how I lead the department, but it was an oversight initially. I think... You know, one of the things that we really want to do is to get to where we have a good, strong, multi-year procurement strategy. We're working hard on training our staff. We have a ton of new staff. We're bringing them in, and we're building that strategy. What we're asking for is some longer, a longer runway to get to that point. We alone cannot fix the contracting process. I mean, we're going to need your help to do that. In the meantime, we have a lot of need to move quickly. And so when we look at things like these, um, you know, if we're going to do a vehicle center, a vehicle um, safe space out in District 7, if we're going to be able to move quickly on shelter as we move forward, we know we need more shelter. And it's very, very hard to site shelter. It's hard to get it going. It's hard to find providers. And so we're asking for a longer runway before we get to where we do the full multi-year multi procurement. But that's, so that's what we're asking for. I, I mean, I, I'm sorry to interrupt this, but then again, you had five years uh, to, with this waiver authority. Right, and COVID was right in the middle of it. And then you and have And we needed and to move very for, quickly. Right. But we continue to have a shelter crisis. We have people on the street, and we need to move as quickly as we can. That's what we're asking you for today. I think... Um, so, yeah, that's basically it. But we are, as Emily mentioned, my deputy director mentioned, 
we are working very hard to have a procurement process. We're not doing nothing. Yeah, but, we're doing, but I want to say that about the COVID response. Yeah, but the COVID that and we're moving that everything you had, through our homeless oversight during commission the, during COVID. I want to say, in fact, during COVID, wanted to add back add to like the COVID as a reason why the waiver wasn't working, which is actually interesting. I mean, you had a five-year waiver when the when it the COVID, was working. Yeah, it was working. I think that in we terms of massively results, increased the amount of, of capacity that we had in our system. It did work very well. I mean, which in, is why in, we want to continue. In terms it. of waiver, contract waiver, you have to f last five years. With the emergency declaration of COVID, is another layer of waiver procurement, like uh, procurement waiver citywide because of COVID. And so, in in the last three years, in reality, city governments, in my opinion, that I have been in city government for 20 years, that the waivers of like contract uh, procurement is unprecedented because of COVID and understandably yes, so that's right. and so with that said like again to ask for as I'm as you came back and say we need another five years of waiver is the reason why I say let's pause like I, I think it is time for this department to transition into a process where you really need to go out for competitive bidding or let's tweak the process but Therefore, the language before us today, colleagues, is and, and you know, Director Musbaden, is the, to say, let's tear up the the waivers and not this blanketed five-year waiver. And I, I'm kind of trying to understand: Are we in agreement of this waiver language, or are we not? Because it didn't sound like in your presentation that we're in agreement of this amendment language to be facing in. Uh, or I should say facing out the waiver uh, instead of this blanket five-year waiver? We are not completely in agreement, and I can have um, Deputy Director Cohen go through again where we're not in agreement, but we are not in full agreement. Okay. Thank you, Chair Chan, and again, appreciate all of your work and the work of your office on these amendments. The things that we you know, continue to disagree on is the length of time that we have to enter into new contracts. Uh, this is quite limited. And concerns about splitting up our portfolio based on how the original contract was entered into rather than the type of service. So while we are still asking for five years of authority for our streamlined process, you know, we could talk about the overall timeline but what we don't want to do is split up the category of contracts because it makes it very convoluted on an implementation side and will make it much harder to get to this multi-year procurement process that Shireen just spoke about. And I know we brought this up when we were in discussions. We just still continue to have those concerns about the way your amendments bifurcate our portfolio. Vice Chair Mendelman. Um, thank you, Madam Chair. I want to uh, wish the director a happy, a happy birthday. Uh, welcome to your 40s. Um, you're going to love him. Um, but uh, aside, <laughs> aside from that, um, uh, uh, I guess I, I, I do think there's just, I mean, sort of, as I said yesterday about the Coselect, good, good and reasonable people can come to very different, can come to very different conclusions about um, a matter of policy. And on this matter of policy, I just fundamentally disagree. 
Um, I think that we are not in a position in San Francisco where we need to tweak the processes that we have. I think we probably, if we could, ought to be blowing them up and starting them uh, from scratch. Um, I think if I look back at my six years on this Board of Supervisors, um, yeah, we repealed 12X. I mean, that was after we'd made 12X a whole lot more complicated. And if someone wanted to put up on a wall um, all the things that the Board of Supervisors have added to our procurement process and all the additional requirements we have put in and then take out the 12X requirement. I think, proud as I am of having repealed 12X, my accomplishment or our accomplishment in doing that is dwarfed by what we have probably added to various procurement processes and the complexity. So we are hindered tremendously, I think, in accomplishing um, the goals uh, of our city, our public policy goals, by the complexity of the processes that we put in place to get them done. I have some policy disagreements, which I go round and around and around with uh, this department about. We can fight about it, but I don't, whatever policy emerges, uh, you know, uh, on any number of things about how they address homelessness, I don't want them to then not be able to like move because they're stuck in this molasses and they've given us you know, a proposal to, uh, to get rid of the molasses for a five year period and, uh, and as was pointed out, there, there, the United Council, there is corruption, malfeasance, bad action, the wrong contractors selected with the processes we have now. So, they, ha they are building into their internal processes the, the, the things that we would want them to do, not just going to one, uh, not soliciting a single contractor, trying to get multiple bids from different folks, but they're doing it in a way that I think allows them to move more quickly and actually accomplish our goals more effectively. I am comfortable with the legislation as they, um, as they introduced it. I am highly unlikely to support any amendments to it. Thank you, Vice Chair Malgar, I mean, Supervisor Malgar. Thank you, uh, Chair Chan, and I, uh, I know that the department wanted this scheduled, uh, and I wonder if, uh, you know, another week would help us come to some uh, agreement, particularly around uh, the issue of bifurcating uh, the, you know, uh, contracts um, and or uh, the length of time. Uh, it sounds like, um, you know, I still have questions on <laughs> the position, the strong position you're taking, Chair Chan, and the uh, position that uh, my colleague, Supervisor Mandelman, is taking. And, and I think maybe another week uh, might give us, may, maybe not, but may give us uh, some time to get the data from the department about, um, you know, uh, the cultural competency issue in the contracts that they have been able to procure versus how it was before the waiver. Um, let me say that while I totally um, support the goal that uh, Supervisor Mandelman expressed about getting rid of the molasses and making sure that people are sheltered quickly and effectively, um, I also uh, totally share the goal expressed by Chair Chan of uh, wanting to um, have an open, transparent process that is less open to corruption, uh, especially around sole sourcing. But I also uh, want, and I will reiterate this again, I want services on the west side of San Francisco because while we don't have the visible epidemic that downtown has, we 
do have a population of folks who is experiencing houselessness and it does affect the community. Um, and it also underscores lack of success by the kids who are unsheltered, by the families who are suffering from these. And I do wanna see a prioritization in some way to get contractors on your list who have language, cultural competency, and who can address this population. So, um, you know, I would like to propose that we uh, give this another week before we vote. Thank you, Supervisor Malker. Look, I, I mean, I, I think that uh, I, I would like to do uh, two things uh, before we go to public comments and and indicate what I would like to, you know, I think first I would like to um, actually have the civil grand jury report uh, referencing the HSH contract to be um, included in the legislative file of this specific legislation um, to just indicating the the civil grand jury report uh, evaluation of really uh, the HSH contract itself. Um, and, and I think that I also want to articulate it again, and I have articulated before, um, not specifically about this uh, legislation, but just in general, um, and it's definitely speaking to the HSH contracts in general too, is that all across the board, contracts don't deliver uh, and de don't deliver what we want it to deliver, it should face termination or ramp down, and it should just should not be continued. Um, and that contract don't clearly have capacity issue, it needs to be clarified how do you get there. And I think that's a two different things between um, how do you go for competitive bidding uh, and doing contract process versus uh, the delivery of the deliverables from your contract. But I do also see there's a potential coalition. It, it, uh, uh, Meaning, if you actually have a process that that is competitive and transparent and out there, um, and that you allow conversations um, in a consistent manner, maybe not immediately, but at least two years from now, you can go open for like competitive bidding and get you yourself there. Perhaps then we may have better results. Uh, I'm just not in a space where to think that moving fast is always better. Um, I, I think that I rather have consistency and making sure that things really do work uh, and continue to to make sure that it works um, in a way that it's been vetted. Um, so that that's just my point of view about the contract waiver in general. It's not just about HSH. I feel the same way about. DPH asking for the same thing for the beds, for the mental health beds outside of the outside of county. So just kind of wanted to put it out there. This is not just about HSH, just contracting in general. And so with that, uh, let's go to public comments on this item. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. We now invite members of the public who have joined us today and uh, who wish to speak on this item number seven. Now's your opportunity to approach the lectern and address this committee. And as the chair did state earlier, we are taking uh, one minute for public comment today. First speaker, please. Hi, Debbie Lerman, San Francisco Human Services Network. Um, homelessness is in a state of crisis in San Francisco. Streamlining contracts has led to the ability to rapidly open and continue critical homeless services and to expand the system. Uh, this has been an effective strategy. 
and to denying the extension would be, would be disruptive and would cause delays in services. We urge this committee to approve the extension and uh, do it as quickly as possible. Thank you. Thanks so much, Debbie Lerman. Next speaker, please. Good morning, Supervisors. My name is Cody Keene. I work for DISH, and I'm also part of the Supportive Housing Providers Network. I wanted to lift up the benefits this ordinance has provided specifically for supportive housing. This ordinance has supported expedited openings for supportive housing resources, like rapid rehousing subsidies, scattered site vouchers, and hundreds of new units of site-based permanent supportive housing. They have provided critical services for tenants through behavioral health services and money management. Shelter in place tenants were able to utilize housing navigation services. Tens of thousands of food bags were provided through Housing First pantries. Um, the expedited contract supported the opening of hundreds of new units of permanent supportive housing serving adults, young adults, and families. The ordinance extended existing agreements serving formerly homeless adults in over 100 units of PSH, allowing the extension of critical services. I appreciate your consideration in extending this ordinance so that we can continue to serve our most vulnerable communities. Thank you. Thank you much, Cope Kane. Next speaker, please. Good morning, Supervisors. Charles Defarge, Director of Policy at ECS here to speak in support of a reasonable extension of 6119 so that we do not experience disruptions of service. ECS, we're members of SHPN, HSN, who we've heard from, as well as here representing HESPA, coalitions whose members would all be impacted were the provisions of 6119 to end. We also support accountability in procurement and hope that an extension would provide an opportunity for HSH to continue working with the controller's office and us as stakeholders and providers to improve procurement for the department. Um, as staff laid out, um, this ordinance has been critical to meeting the crisis on our streets with hundreds um, of shelter beds, 600 slots of prevention, housing units, all things that we need desperately. Let's continue to meet this crisis with urgency while improving our processes and promoting accountability. A reasonable extension of this provision would allow us to do just that. Thank you. Thanks so much, Charles Defarge. If there are any more members of the public who wish to address this committee regarding this item number seven, Madam Chair, that completes our queue. Thank you. Seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. Supervisor Melgar. Uh, Ms. Cohen, would it mess you up if we continue this for a week? Through the chair, thank you, Supervisor. Yes, um, this has been continued since December. When we had this initial conversation, we've had lots of time to work with the chair's office. We've met with many members, almost all of the members on the of the board on this. We are currently in our contracting work frozen. This lack of clarity about where we're going and our authority over the next few months has us only focusing on existing contract amendments and is completely stalling our work to open new projects. And so while one week at the board doesn't seem like a particularly long time, that pushes us out until April before we'll know where we, before this is enacted. And my, my concern is our staff capacity. They have, they're receiving obviously very mixed messages about where we're going with this ordinance and what kind of authority. And our contract staff is in a state of sort of frozen limbo right now, waiting for the direction of this board so we know how to move forward with the, I think it's something like 50 contracts that are coming 
that need to be amended by May. And I, I understand that. You know, I, um, I wasn't on, on this committee uh, in December. I did talk to you about that, about mm -hmm. this issue uh, a couple times. And I've also heard a lot of new information from Chair Chan uh, today and her staff. And so um, I, uh, you know, I think that for me, a week would be helpful in talking to, you, you know, uh, the department and advocates and reading the um, civil grand jury report. Uh, so, um, and if, you know, there's not the will in the committee, then it is, but I would uh, like to make a motion that we continue this for a week until next Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, I think that like your contract don't expire until May, it's February uh, 7. I think we have some time to have this conversation, but uh, I would also like to understand exactly which part of this that we've been, you know, I think we've been having these conversations. I think it, I, I just also want to articulate colleagues that this language also is uh, in my consultation with the controller, um, Ben Rosenfeld, like, you know, trying to get his uh, eyes on this and to see how we can come to a space where we have some accountability, uh, but contain, that they can continue to do this work. I think that, that we can actually get there with this language. I'm kind of like taken by surprise that today we're, that it's HSH is saying that they're not in complete agreement, but I'd like to understand which exactly which part of the language that we're not in complete agreement. Are we actually just saying that the tiering of the um, contract because of the conditions of both either the original procurement uh, versus the ones that we have some bids and then the brand new contract but I thought we had that briefing and had that conversation that we were we were in agreement but so I'm just frustrated the fact that somehow today we're no longer uh, I like to have a week too to understand exactly what happened between the meeting that we have I think a week a week and a half ago to today so I, I like to understand that too I, I don't think I I do not appreciate uh, being told today that somehow we now do not have an agreement when we've been working on this since December. So I do not appreciate that. Like, I would like to move to continue this for a week. And the roll call, please. Uh, Madam Chair, you did, uh, you did already move to amend. Oh. So we should take that vote first. I'm going to resend the motion to amend okay, and I'm going to well. continue for a week. Okay. And with that motion. Actually, before I do that. Okay just so that we're in calculation, but also transparent about this. In the events we do actually move these amendments, at least parts of it, would that be some substantive and require a continuance? Deputy City Attorney Sarah Crowley, um, Chair Chan, these amendments that you have drafted would not be substantive. Thank you. So now we have that. And so we'd like to make the motion to continue to next week. Yes, okay, on the motion to continue uh, this ordinance to the February 14th meeting of this committee. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. And the motion passes. And with that, um, Sir Clark, please call the next item. Item number eight is an ordinance deappropriating two and a quarter million from general city responsibility and reappropriating 250,000 to the Municipal Transportation Agency to support free two-hour parking in the Portsmouth Square and St. Mary, St. Mary's parking garages in transit fares uh, for the Lunar New Year Parade in February 2024 and two million 
uh, to the Office of Economic and Workforce Development to support a relief fund for Soma area businesses and organizations from direct Asia-Pacific economic cooperation impacts uh, in the fiscal year of 2023 to 2024. Madam Chair. Thank you, and I just want to thank my colleagues for being so patient. My colleagues of uh, Supervisor Engardio and Supervisor Dorsey, both, uh, I just want to acknowledge you both being here, uh, colleagues that uh, really have worked on this item with us. Um, thank you, uh, and to just trying to make this move forward in, in a space where not only that we help merchants in some area, but really many areas are impacted, what I would say, by city government decisions, where it's APAC or just city projects, decisions that are not really um, up to small business owners and uh, located in commercial corridors or downtown district that um, we're able to uh, have all the information and process to appeal it or appeal those any type of those decisions and it sort of felt like it was forced upon them that this was happening um, so uh, I'm gonna go by if it's okay uh, with Supervisor Dorsey who is the co-sponsor of this legislation um, would you like to say a few words before we uh, apologies uh We'll say apologies to Professor Dorsey through the chair uh, before uh, before speaking. Uh, we do have a rule about standing in the chamber, and we have not opened public comment yet. So uh, when we do open public comment, of course, absolutely feel free to line up. But for now, while discussions are happening, uh, I must insist you have a seat. Thank you so much. Apologies, Supervisor Dorsey, through the okay. chair. Great. There we go. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Thank you, Chair Chan. Um, I want to thank uh, Chair Chan and everyone on uh, your team and everybody on this committee for all of your work over the last few months. Um, this includes the initial resolution which urged uh, the city that city funding be prioritized to mitigate APEC impacts, um, obviously co-sponsoring our hearing, and most importantly, thanks for introducing this appropriation to finally accomplish what was envisioned with the resolution back in November. As I have said uh, previously on uh, APEC-related topics, um, I always feel it's necessary to start with a debt of gratitude and congratulations to uh, the multitude of agencies at the local, state, and federal levels uh, for staging a remarkable and historic event. Um, I think we succeeded in showcasing San Francisco well to the world. It showed we still clean up nice and that against the backdrop of national trend stories, about our city's challenges, um, San Francisco is uh, underway on its comeback, and we are every bit as worthy of investing in and working in and living in and visiting as ever. <clears throat> our hearing on APEC showcased many of the undue burdens um, and pains felt by businesses in and around the security perimeter of APEC. These included the loss of foot traffic and enormous operational difficulties encountered, with, especially around things like deliveries. Uh, this is all on top of existing challenges with public safety and post-pandemic foot traffic. Um, and as an update to that, I uh, just learned today through a community leader who spoke with the general manager of the Metreon that no fewer than seven of their businesses were unable to make uh, post-APEC rent, um, be largely because of APEC-related impacts. And in many cases, business owners needed to dip into personal savings. Now, I know this fund is not solely about these individual businesses. We have a, a broader civic interest to protect the beating heart of our economic engine. Um, neighborhoods like Union Square, Chinatown, North Beach, Fisherman's Wharf, 
um, are often discussed as the tourism cores that generate significant tax dollars to our city. Uh, but Yerba Buena and Soma neighborhoods, um, maybe they're, they're sometimes a little bit overlooked in that, but um, their zip code actually generates more tax, more sales tax than any other zip code um, in the city. And that's with the Westfield Mall, Moscone Convention Center, museums, arts institutions. The neighborhood's um, health is uh, vitally important to the economic engine and recovery of our entire city. So I would, while I would, you know, I, I guess echo my belief that APEC reserve balance dollars uh, should be directed to mitigate APEC specific impacts, I also recognize that it is, uh, its unintended harms are of a piece with uh, similar unintended harms that small businesses outside of APEC uh, suffer from city projects. So if in the judgment of this committee, broadening that helps win requisite support and also best serves the, the broader civic interest that is the job of this budget committee to serve, I can certainly support that. So um, I wanna thank the hundreds of business owners that have been engaged on this issue. Uh, many of them are here today. Many more have sent supportive uh, emails and to this committee and to the Board of Supervisors, you are part of what makes the Yerba Buena neighborhood uh, so vibrant and special. Um, I just wanna make sure that I'm doing my job to make sure that that vibrancy isn't placed at risk if help doesn't come and come soon. Um, so thank you to all, to the business owners, Yerba Buena stakeholders here today. Thanks to my legislative aide, Madison Tam, uh, who did a lot of great work on this. And again, thanks to Chair Chan for your leadership and all your work to support these and other businesses citywide. Thank you, Supervisor Dorsey. Supervisor Engardio. Thank you. So the once-in-a-century replacement of Muni's train tracks and all the utilities and infrastructure under Terrible Street has been a major disruption for small businesses. First, the mom-and-pop restaurants and stores on Terraville had to face the pandemic, and now they have to survive the entire street being ripped up. It's a huge burden. While we couldn't predict and stop the pandemic from happening, we do know that major construction, like on Terraville, is hurting small businesses. We can prepare for that. It's our duty to make plans to help those businesses survive. The track replacement will improve the business corridor. The final result will benefit Terravel and its small businesses for the next 100 years. But we can't just give up on today's mom and pop merchants. They need to make it through the infrastructure improvements and road construction. We need them to be around when the train comes back. Some businesses reported a loss of up to 70% of their sales. It will be a travesty if we have brand new train tracks and boarding islands serving a corridor without any businesses. That's why I called on leadership from SFMTA, the Office of Small Business, and the Mayor's Office to join me in meeting directly with Terravel merchants to hear their concerns. We met at a struggling restaurant on Terravel, and merchants expressed their frustration with the city. And I see many are here today, and we will get a chance to hear from them. It was clear that Terravel merchants need financial support, but money is tight in our current budget deficit. Funds were not set aside years ago when the project was first planned. That's why we need a dedicated relief fund that can offer small businesses a lifeline during major construction projects and disruptive events. But that's not gonna happen today. In this critical moment, we are fortunate to have some unspent funds from last fall's APEC Conference of World Leaders in San Francisco. Now, during APEC, there were small businesses who were harmed by no fault of their own. The merchants suffered from the decisions and actions of city agencies. And Terraval merchants have a similar experience. They have faced years of disruptions and are at the mercy of SFMTA and city agencies to finish this project as promised by the end of this year. 
the SFMTA has been clear that their funds are restricted to transit and can't be used to support merchants. That's why I believe we should use some of the unspent APEC funds to help Terravel merchants. I work with Supervisor Connie Chan, our budget chair, and former Supervisor Katie Tang, who is now the director of the city's Office of Small Business. I ask that they request $1 million of the leftover APEC fund to go toward helping the businesses suffering on Terravel. We are one city. We can help businesses who suffered last fall and those who continue to suffer today. We can look at this budget committee as if we were an emergency room where we triage the problems coming in and direct resources to the areas in code blue. I can say that Terravel is in code blue. It's at risk of dying. We must come together to help a major and vital part of our city. Terravel extends from West Portal to the ocean across two supervisor districts. Spending a portion of the APEC funds to help Terravel is all about saving businesses, which benefits the whole city. You know, if people stop shopping on Terravel and just drive to Daly City, that's less tax revenue for all of us. So that's why I believe this is the right thing to do. And thank you uh, for your support. Supervisor Malkar. Thank you, Chair Chan, uh, and thank you for uh, your efforts uh, in this piece of legislation. I want to also thank uh, my colleague to the West, uh, Supervisor Angardio. Um, the Terraval Commercial District extends into District 7 and is, in fact, Phase B of the project, the MTA project. So we got it after the pandemic when people were coming back uh, to in-person dining in the restaurants, and it has definitely affected the commercial corridor. So I am grateful that we're doing it. Um, I also think, uh, I understand that there has been some um, reluctance uh, among some to go this route whenever we have disruptions caused by government-sponsored act, government activity. Um, I actually want to just, you know, stake out that, that I believe that we should do this uh, always to support small businesses, whether what we're talking about is upzoning and, and densification, which is something that we are doing as we speak. We are looking at how we use the land in a different way, I think, in this generation, particularly when it comes to public transportation um, and connecting uh, sort of housing density to the health of the commercial corridor and how we are coming together in issues like APEC, you know, to uh, uh, get past the pandemic slump that we've been in. But by the same token, uh, the neighborhood uh, commercial corridors and the neighborhoods are what has kept San Francisco strong. So uh, I totally support this effort. I think we should expand it beyond uh, this uh, particular legislation, and I'm glad that we are um, going this route. And again, thank you, Chair Chan, and to my colleagues and my colleague, Supervisor Dorsey, for this. Thank you, colleagues, and uh, I want to uh, recognize our executive director or our director for the Office of Economic and Workforce Development, Sarah Dennis Phillips, is here. And we'd just like to, for you to just do walk us through really quick about uh, both the APAC um, relief program as well as in this case, you know, uh, merchants are impacted by SFMTA capital um, improvement. And so, just wanted to learn more about how what is the what are the goals. How do we make sure that these uh, funds are uh, distributed to the people who need it uh, and the timeline for it? Thank you very much, Committee Chair Chan, Supervisors. Um, 
Really glad to be here before you today. I'm joined by Katie Tang, the Executive Director of our Office of Small Business, and Diana Ponce de Leon, who leads our Community Economic Development Division. Um, Katie's team, just for reference, um, prepared much of the, did much of the work before and after APEC, reaching out to, and in many cases, visiting personally all the small businesses in the corridor, and is also key in, in working with our Terraval merchants um, over the past years as, as the construction has been underway. Diana has also been a part of both of those efforts and her team, and, and her team works every day to get grants out the door to the small businesses that are in need throughout the city, so both very relevant to the conversation. I also want to express OEWD's gratitude. Um, we work to support and fight for small businesses every day, and so proposals like this that work to bolster that are, are welcome by us. So I also just want to express deep understanding of the harm felt by the community subject to this resolution. Um, COVID was in itself an enormous impact and the changes after that. APEC, obviously, we're a very understanding of, of, um, of what happened, particularly to businesses in the perimeter. Street construction and the impact Terraval has been hate. And frankly, there's been anti-Asian sentiment throughout, which has been a thread that is felt here too. So deep understanding of what's happened. Um, that understanding has come somewhat from the outreach that we've performed, and it's been significant. Um, Katie's small business team, along with a multitude of other city agencies, performed on-the-ground outreach, business to business, and we got to hear from so many folks directly. Um, we also, and I was able to join, have done uh, merchant walks along Terraval, and so we've heard firsthand from the impacts felt there as well. Um, and that's been really enlightening. We've also learned from our partners at the Soma Pilipinas Cultural District, at the Yerba Buena Community Benefit District, from the cultural organizations and small businesses that have written to us, and from the supervisor, Supervisor Dorsey and Supervisor Engardio, so thank you. Um, when we spoke and tried to understand how best to structure a relief fund, as is contemplated in the resolution, there were four things that we heard clearly across the board, and I think this was from very democratic outreach. One, that it be simple, a simple process. Two, that it get to the businesses quickly, that it not be a strung out process. Three, that it be equitable, and four, that it be flexible. So just wanna set those principles out. We also looked at past practice of how uh, we, through our Community Economic Development Division and other departments are executing grants now, what has been the city's precedent with grants of this, this type of sort. Um, there's been a very, you know, I will say that uh, we looked at MTA who has given out two very limited mitigation grants given construction extensions under their um, threshold and then we've looked at other cities. So after all that, after hearing from the businesses, understanding their priority and looking at best practices, our recommendation to structure a relief fund is that we create a one-time relief grant to impacted businesses. I think given the funds that are contemplated in the resolution, that would arrive at about $8,000 to $10,000 per business or organization that is subject to visitation, thereby impacted by these events that we're talking to. Um, and that we um, do it as quickly as possible. Um, it's interesting that we follow the item that we follow. Um, due to our procurement processes, uh, it's very challenging for us to get the funding out the door quickly. And this is something I've spoken to both the supervisors about. Um, we have we have a proposal or a recommendation that we come back to this board with an amendment to one of our existing grant provider contracts 
that would allow us to add this funding for both APEC and Terraval businesses to that contract um, and then provide those direct grants to businesses um, with very few questions asked. In terms of who would qualify for those grants, obviously we would want to construct that criteria in cooperation with the board. Um, our recommendation, particularly for APEC, is that it be designed for businesses and organizations within the perimeter because that's a very clear way to define impact. If a business or organization was on our list of businesses within that perimeter, and we have done a on-the-ground survey and estimate 200, um, we could issue that grant, no questions asked. I think we need to do a little more work with the supervisor to define impact on Terraval, um, and with you, Supervisor Melgar, as well, understanding that there's been differential impacts along the corridor based on terms. So that might have to be a little more carefully crafted, but again, the goal would be to make it as simple, equitable, and quick as possible. So with that, I think uh, we're open for questions. Thank you. We do have a BLA report, uh, but budget and legislative analyst report for this, um, but Part of this also is the uh, SFMTA providing um, supports to the Chinatown merchants with uh, free first to our parking at Portsmouth Square, and then uh, also to think about um, uh, to to also uh, to have a free Muni, not free cable car, free Muni on uh, February 24th, the Chinese New Year parade. Someone from SFMTA here. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning, Chair Chan, members of the committee. Uh, yes, we've been, uh, sorry, Rob Malone, uh, manager in the parking and curb management uh, of uh, subdivision of the street side of MTA. So I'm here to yeah, happily just summarize. You did an excellent job of summarizing it. My personal expertise is in the uh, garage operations aspect. But yeah, after uh, we were happy to speak with the supervisor um, other stakeholders in the area and come up uh, with a mutually agreeable plan um, for Lunar New Year uh, activities and then the parade day itself. And yes, we have, uh, again, following that uh, mutual agreement, already implemented uh, two hour, first two hours free parking at Portsmouth Square Garage that was effective on the 1st of February and is intended to run um, through the entire month of February. Uh, and then Again, as you, you mentioned, uh, the plan for free Muni with the exception of cable car on the parade day itself. So again, we have put those in place. We're closely tracking them, and we'll, we'll be circling back at the end of the month um, um, with whoever wants to see those details of, of the actual impact. We worked with the, we're happy to work with the BLA to uh, make a you know best uh, estimated projection of the impact with the, the parking usage at least. It, it is what it is. For the number of folks who come is what it is. We, we estimated based on a similar program that was most recently done in 2022. Um, and but again, we are tracking the actual usage and, and we'll uh, circle up uh, in early March with those actual numbers. Um, so that, that's a summary of what we're doing. And again, uh, happy to take any questions. Just wanted to add, and then uh, it's that the remaining uh, that there could be potential funding that we would like to expand the community use service. Community yes, use I, I'm happy to describe. Would you like no, to entree that? I think before we go to BLA, if you could just in full extent explaining <clears throat> what we could Sure, do. sure. I'm, I'm happy to, and, and please uh, jump in. So again, there's, this has been a, uh, a rapidly moving uh, discussion. Um, and again, we were happy to 
um, go ahead and begin the two, first two hours free parking at, at Portsmouth Square because the, the beginning of the month was there and, and that's what we wanted to do. Um, but some other aspects of um, how precisely to use uh, some other potential funding was still under discussion. And again, my, as my understanding, was still under discussion after the, the, the uh, uh, language of the ordinance that's in the packet today was already submitted. So we've been in discussions ongoing up to the moment practically with the supervisor's office, with other uh, stakeholders. Uh, and my understanding of those latest discussions is um, we have talked about uh, an increase to the allocation to, that would come to MTA to $500,000. Uh, up from uh, $250,000. Um, uh, the intention of that was, is to fund the projected impact of the first two hours free parking at the garage, the uh, cost for the, the days of free muni surface, uh, and then there's expected to be a, uh, and then at, as I mentioned, the actual usage of the, the two hour parking, the actual cost of that will not actually be known until the end of the month after it's tracked. But we've made a preliminary commitment that whatever money is left of that 500, which could be 200,000, somewhere between 150, $200,000, again, we don't know exactly, will be used um, as a funding source to extend uh, uh, an ambassador program, a CYC ambassador program that had been ongoing, that had been previously been funded under the, the central subway program. Um, that is winding down, but uh, uh, my uh, uh, boss, Director Tumlin, uh, has committed that we will, are happy to find an appropriate um, contracting me mechanism to continue that service using the additional funds, again, that have been discussed uh, uh, in, in draft form, let's call it, and my understanding is we're going to be hearing about a proposed maybe amendment to this uh, legislation to incorporate uh, those discussions. Thank you. Good morning, Supervisors. Nick Bernard from the Budget Legislative Analyst Office. This ordinance um, appropriates $2.25 million from the APEC reserve. Uh, there is $3.5 million left in that reserve, um, and the appropriation falls into two buckets. There's $2 million going to the Office of Economic and Workforce Development. And the legislation before you now says that that is uh, to provide relief to organizations that were impacted by APEC. Uh, and then there's $250,000 uh, to MTA to offset their foregone revenue from parking and transit waivers uh, related to Lunar New Year. We did uh, provide um, an analysis in our report of what those foregone revenues are for two hours of free parking at Portsmouth Square all month. Uh, two hours of free parking at St. Mary's Square on weekends only, and uh, one day of free transit, excluding cable cars, with a buffer. All of that adds up to $336,000. So it's a little bit more than the $250,000 that's in the ordinance before you right now. If you took St. Mary's out, then the cost, then the foregone revenues would only be $326,000. Uh, we also have a recommendation for a report back from the Office of Workforce Development to the Board of Supervisors um, on the final rules of any grant program funded by this appropriation, and then a report including information about the number of business businesses and organizations 
that have benefited from grants and the amount of grants that have gone out. Uh, the, the department alluded to the procurement challenges that they face getting the money out the door, and it's for that reason we had a date for the report back by the end of the calendar year. Um, you, could make, you could request a kind of a status report sooner in time for the budget process, but I think by the end of the calendar year uh, was feasible based on feedback from the department. We consider approval of this ordinance to be a policy matter for the board. Thank you. And uh, I don't have, I don't see any name on the roster. Um, go ahead. Apologies, Rob Malone again, MTA. I just wanted to um, say from our behalf, yeah, Mr. Menard uh, alluded to another piece of the language that's in the legislation that I, that I failed to mention, which is it hadn't uh, originally contemplated um, some free parking at St. Mary's Square Garage. Again, that was the, the conversation we were having uh, uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, as part of the evolving conversations that led to the discussion of potentially some additional appropriation, it was agreed by the MTA as well as the supervisor's office and again those various stakeholders from Chinatown that a better use of uh, this additional money would be to fund the ambassador, uh, uh, some ongoing ambassador services versus providing any additional free parking on top of Portsmouth Square. Uh, that, therefore, that's why we have not instituted and do not plan to uh, institute any uh, two-hour free parking at St. Mary's Square. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I first wanted to thank uh, the small business and community organizations as well as the residents that live and operate and do business in the exclusion zone during the APAC event. Um, it's... I, I appreciate both the advocacy and the fact that um, not only that you turn out today, you turn out long before. Um, you turn out long before to advocate for your community um, to make sure that you're heard. We have hearing before to figure out how to uh, assist the community since November. And uh, I really appreciate the, the patience that everyone has with the city to try to figure this out, and now it's February. I, I really appreciate Supervisor Dorsey working with your constituents and hearing your constituents and help me understand that what your constituents need. And so here we are. I think that with the supplemental of $2 million uh, specifically for those um, who were impacted by APAC was really numerous of conversations and, you know, months of conversations since November to come to where we're at and trying to figure out how to best just, uh, provide the relief. Um, so I would say that, you know, those are uh, conversation that have with a lot of information gathering uh, and that here we are with the, with the two million before us. I know that there's inclination wishing to see more and I think that at this moment uh, that does not stop us uh, in the future in the events when we learn more about it as the OEWD continue to figure out the relief um, to figure out what else can we do to support um, for, for the ongoing, to provide ongoing support for them to recover from, from the APAC um, impact. 
and so with that said, I, I wanted to say that for the Chinatown uh, community and the Chinatown merchants also was impacted by APAC um, because of the um, president's, uh, President Biden's stay and other stays in the Fairmont Hotel uh, was uh, created a uh, street closure. Um, and that I know that um, their business on Grand Avenue were not able to open um, because of because there was no way for them to get uh, deliveries and other issues uh, due to the street closures. So uh, to know that the traditionally what Chinatown always have really wanted since you know pandemic, recognizing that they want more robust visitorship and tourism and all that, um, but also for people who visit their families and be able to eat and shop in Chinatown uh, and visit Chinatown. Uh, that the parking garage first two hours for free was something that I know that they wholeheartedly supported. Through the conversation though, they were like, you know, St. Mary's a bit on the edge of Chinatown. It, perhaps what we really want is to ensure that we continue to have uh, the Community Youth Center Ambassador Program because that is really where the Central Subway, they are located at Central Subway, directing people to visit Chinatown. Also. Um, ensuring pedestrian safety. And that's something that they really wanted to see uh, when the, and expecting the visitorship increase, that that's something that they can have in Chinatown. Meanwhile, I really appreciate, I think that actually was uh, Supervisor Malgar that brought up to me um, a few weeks ago when we were um, seeing and thinking about the supplemental, uh, mentioning about concerns around Taroval and how can we um, support merchants in in, in Tar along Taroval too. And of course, Supervisor Ingardio definitely was like, hey, this is something we must do. Um, so colleagues, I so appreciate all of you being so thoughtful, um, fighting for your district. Like you all have came to, you all came together um, and really like, uh, I just want all your constituents to know you, you fought for them, you advocated for them. You're like, Budget Chair Chan, you gotta do something. And uh, otherwise, you know, I'm in trouble as a chair uh, with you. And so I appreciate all of you. Uh, just wanted to all your merchants and advocates know that you're the one who speak uh, on their behalf uh, to me and advocating for these dollar amount. Um, what I really am grateful to though is for OEWD. For OEWD, like uh, stepping up for the Office of Economic and Workforce Development to step up to the plate um, to really work with all the merchants. I, I think that not just uh, um, one sector, but you, you try to really accommodate everyone and try to figure out how to th get the dollars to, to the merchants. Um, I do hope, um, as the budget and legislative analysts have um, uh, suggest, that for you to report back to us, uh, help us understand um, how this program um, really have deliver and roll out. I think for me that uh, for, I, I can say not just colleagues uh, that are Supervisor Malgar and Supervisor Ingardio, but I think that all of us here is that we, we all see that SFMTA projects um, from time to time create interruption and disruption uh, for our merchants, especially if you're like very tiny small business. And, uh, and we just really love to learn more how in the long run with SFMTA, with OEWD, and with this board to figure out ways to continue to fund this uh, account, so to speak, this, this fund and this relief program. And to make sure that we're thoughtful about it, um, that you know, I think an interruption of a week uh, or two 
versus a decade that we have seen, like Venice BRT or Central Subway, are very, very different. Uh, and so how do we make sure that we really are thoughtful about um, providing the support and relief um, immediate term, but if this is a longer term project, then what do we do Like in terms of different phases of, of the project um, that we can provide the support uh, accordingly? So with that said, uh, Supervisor Dorsey. Thank you, Chair Chan. I, your comments actually reminded me that there was somebody I had neglected to, to thank, and I did want to um, express my gratitude to Sarah Dennis Phillips and the entire team at OEWD, and of course, Katie Tang and your team, the Office of Small Business, and then just to reiterate my appreciation to the uh, committee chair, Chan, and to the members of this committee. I, I don't think in city government there is a more thankless role than serving on the budget committee and i think that's never more true in a, than in a, a budgetary downturn it is never going to be good enough you will never make me you know your colleagues happy enough or, or san franciscans sure. but um you do great work and it's really important so thank you thank you um so with that uh let's go to public comments on this item and mr Clark. thank you madam chair we now invite members of the public who have joined us today who wish to address the committee regarding this item number eight uh, to line up to speak now right along those windows. Uh, as you come forward to the lectern, as the chair did state uh, earlier on, all speakers will have one minute to speak. Uh, with that, uh, first speaker, and I'll start your time. My name is Diana Anderson. Um, I'm an owner of Avenue's Pet Hospital, which has been on Terravel Street. We have owned it for 55 years, and it's been in business there for 75 years. Uh, SFMTA is killing all of Terravel Street. Across the street, two businesses are out, one's going. Our business is down over 30% just in the last month because no one can actually even cross the street. You go six blocks in either direction to get across the street. Try doing that with a 180-pound dog or even a 30-pound cat. I believe that um, SFMTA is responsible for the death of the businesses all throughout the city and their policies. They're really not supervised, and, and um, Supervisor Chan, I applaud you for actually understanding what's happening here. We met with them in depth for a number of years, telling them that they were going to kill the business because they've taken away all parking. I'm sorry to be Speaker's going time lengthy, but I, I think this really Thank you so needs much for to be your heard, and I certainly hope Thank you so much for speaking. And again, I do apologize for cutting anybody off, but uh, as so stated earlier, we are timing each speaker to one minute. And with that, next speaker, please. Good afternoon, uh, Supervisors. Mark Gleason, I'm here speaking on behalf of our, our membership that uh, works in the off-street garages. We are in complete support of this item, uh, specifically, and, and uh, uh, we want to focus on the relief that would be available uh, to the small businesses and to the garages that were affected during APEC. And uh, on a general sense, too, with this item, we are supportive of all the relief that can be done for the commercial corridors, Chinatown, and Terraville, and others uh, that's on this item. So thank you very much. Thank you, Mark Lees. Next speaker, please. Supervisor Chan, nice to meet you. Uh, Supervisor Dorsey, sorry, Chairman Tan, nice to meet you. Dorsey, always a pleasure to see you. Thank you, committee members. I have one minute, so I'm going to be quick. I'm appalled that Terravel is going after APAC money. I commend you, uh, Chairman Chan, for acknowledging that they do have a, a voice. 
I still am, as a business owner in Soma, I represent two businesses, and we were slaughtered by APAC. We had steel fences in front of our building. I had to pay my employees out of my pocket. I had to pay my rent out of my pocket. This isn't about SFMTA doing construction. This is about expectations. And Mayor Breed set the expectation that businesses would succeed, and we were slaughtered. Thank you. Thanks so much for addressing this committee. Next speaker, please. Good morning, Supervisors. David Cohen from The Grove down in the uh, Soma area. Um, really quick, uh, in October, you guys set out $10 million uh, to mitigate APEC's impact on small businesses and residents in the vicinity of Moscone. That was your resolution. We had the party. The budget got out of control. It was never set up. It went haywire. You've heard all of our stories. We've now dipped into that $10 million that you set aside, non-binding for us. It paid for the police. It's now paying for these other projects around the city. When you talk about broken government, it's right here. This is it. You guys aren't keeping your word to the money that you set aside for us. We appreciate it. There's other ways to do this, and we hope that you guys will continue, Supervisor Dorsey, to fight for your, for your constituents and continue to find ways to fund relief, be it tax relief, or other uh, exemptions when we pay taxes this year, or however you want to do it. But this shouldn't, this shouldn't end today. Thanks. Thank you much for addressing this committee. Next speaker, please. Hi, my name is Randall Connor. I am the general manager of Orange Hummus at 71 Third Street, which puts us right in the middle of that uh, APEC exclusion zone. Um, being in very uh, close proximity to APEC, it uh, affected our ability to conduct any business uh, over that two-week period of the setup of the security zone. We lost about 35 percent of our sales, and the actual week of APEC, we lost 50 percent of our sales, right? Um, and uh, not just the sales loss, this the uh, safety issues and the safety concerns with my staff. Um, a man was stabbed uh, steps away from our, our doorstep because of the protests and things like that. So um, it definitely affected us, and uh, we thank you for what you guys are doing, and we just like to see it done quicker. Thank you much, Rondale Connor. Next speaker, please. Uh, good morning, uh, Supervisor. My name is Mark. Uh, I am a local I usually the Gumpali 同埋增加有關的停車位,等呢啲方便市民的各種生活。多謝。Thank you much for addressing this committee. Would you like me to translate? I can translate on the record. Yes, please. Yes. Thank you, Chair Chan. No problem. My name is Mark, and I have witnessed, I've been a consumer on Taroval streets for a 
long time and I've witnessed almost seven years of damage that SFMTA has done and that's including no more parking, no more loading zone for our businesses. It's very challenging for them. I've seen that the restaurants have to uh, waste their food and dump their food uh, because they couldn't uh, sell their food. And so we really, I really hope that the city department can continue to support uh, and find ways to support our merchants and, uh, and find ways to provide parkings at this time. Thank you, Mark, for addressing this committee, and thanks again, Chair Chan. Next speaker. Hi, uh, Vince Rodriguez. I am a strong community member. I bought and restored the Four Star Theater and I own a property on Terravel at 755, and I feel like uh, the city needs to honor the value defined by community, not really the value defined by the financial thing that's going on right now. Uh, this is a picture of in front of the storefront that I've been trying to lease during the entire process of this SFMTA uh, construction. I've reached out to Melgar's uh, office and uh, for help from uh, Michael Farah, um, Connie Chan, Supervisor Chan, you know how active we are in the community. West Side, we love it, we love the community. Um, this is another picture that shows just even the entry of, if I were to try and show this to a potential leaser, how are they gonna get in the building? They've gotta step over uh, basically a hazard. This, this represents Speaker's the, time has elapsed. I mean, it's... Uh, apologies. Uh, yes, one minute. We have to, have to allow for uh, equal time uh, per speaker. Thank you so much. Next speaker, please. Thank you. I, I hear you. And then we'll, we'll take those information and we'll figure out specifically, Vince, uh, with SFMTA and everyone with the OEWD. We got you. Next speaker. Wagosuhai 整体的餐厅,并开辟新的停车位,又,呃,呃,做不够money,比较的,呃,店铺了。Thank uh, you. Uh, I, I'm a small business owner and uh, I, uh, am just uh, located on Terraval and it's been terrible without parking and we really need the support. Thanks so much, Wendy. Next speaker. Hello, Supervisors David Wu with Soma Filipinas. Thank you, Supervisor Chan and Dorsey for championing the Soma Relief Fund, and we ask the committee to support increasing the amount to $3 million. We support all small businesses that have been harmed by, this, by city action and support Supervisor Engardio and former Supervisor Katie Tang's proposing to support Terravel merchants impacted by MTA work not related to APEC. Small businesses are central to the well-being of the city and neighborhoods, and the proposed upzoning plan will only greatly exacerbate these issues. We're glad that our SOMA community effort to demand mitigation has brought these important issues to the board. SOMA knows all about construction impacts to small businesses. However, we ask that SOMA small business needs 
are not pitted against uh, other neighborhoods. We hope the board could separately identify appropriate sources to support Terrell merchants, and we hope city departments will plan proactively for these impacts so small businesses are not an afterthought. Thank you for your support of Soma Small Businesses. Thanks so much, David Wu. Next speaker, please. My name is Nam Huang. I own a restaurant called Fresh Roll in the Metreon, the week of APEC. We saw an 98% decline, close to $50,000 in losses. We've been open for 12 years. Let me provide a little perspective. First, we were misled by the administration who represented to us without caution that APEC would bring a boost to our respective businesses. Because of this, we extended additional costly resources to accommodate the logistical challenges of operating during APEC. So why is this important? We run on extremely thin margins. We didn't just lose 50,000 in revenue, we also incurred 50,000 in, in expenses, most of which could have been avoided. This loss represents two thirds of our entire net income for the year. That's right, the devastation caused by a single week of APEC has wiped out nearly our entire year's worth of work. We fought tooth and nail to make it through pandemic. We urge you to show support uh, for the small businesses to make up the city and recover from the event by providing the full 3.5 million in financial support for the damages that have been caused. Thank you. Thanks so much, Tom Hong. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Barrett Peterson. My husband spoke earlier about the issues on Terrible. I'm going to address instead the larger issues facing small businesses as a whole. We went downtown to make sure that we supported businesses during APEC and saw how devastating it was. However, if you look at what's happening on Terraville, while it's a lot less newsworthy, has been going on a lot longer. Um, I was at the meeting with Supervisor and Guardian where somebody talked about taking out a $100,000 loan just to make enough money to get through what we hoped would be the end of that project. I watched people cry as their businesses have been destroyed. Um, I would ask you to please support the terrible merchants, but also understand that the consequences, while unintended, should not be unexpected. We need to, in the future, plan for these events. People like Jada Jackson and the people at OSB are awesome, but they are not miracle workers. We need to have long-term plans to make sure that in the future, all of these things are taken care of and we don't have merchants coming here having to beg for money and pit each other against each other. Speaker's time has elapsed. Thanks so much for addressing this committee. Next speaker. Good morning. I'm Manuel Ramirez, the owner of Bonchon Korean Fried Chicken at the Metreon in Soma and resident of District 7. Uh, to cover our unprecedented losses from APEC from November 9th to the 19th, an 80% drop in revenue over that 11-day period, my wife and I had to dive deep into the construction and, and contingency funds we set aside for our new restaurant, Izzy and Wooks also at the Metreon. As a result, we will be opening our new spot without a storefront sign and have had to pause paying rent at Bonchon for a substantial amount of time to pay for the Izzy and Wilkes conversion. Nearly daily, my wife and I sit down and discuss after paying suppliers and staff, do we pay rent or do we pay the repairs and construction needed for the new business? So the difference between the support we can get from a $2 million fund and a $3 million fund is big. The difference about making us 40 to 50% whole versus 75 to 80% whole. And, uh, you know, making small business whole is the cost of doing business for the successful event. $2 million to support 150 to 200 businesses is a gesture, but Thank 3 you, million is real help. Thanks so much, Manuel Ramirez. Next speaker. Hello, supervisors and Chair Chan. My name is Albert Chow. I am the president of People of Parkside Sunset, the Terrible Merchants Association. 
I just want to say that I've been with this project since 2015, and I've you know, seeing how we've all suffered on this project. And to tell you the truth, I'm, we've been suffering since September, I mean, excuse me, February of 2022 for segment B. And all in all, segment A and segment B, there's 100, almost 160 businesses on Terravel. And this won't make us whole, but it will help. But there are many guys out there that are suffering. They're, they're barely making it. They're trying to keep their employees. Uh, they're trying to keep their businesses going. But this money that's going is hand to mouth to our families, and we really appreciate your support. Thank you so much. Thank you, Albert Chow. Next speaker. Good afternoon, Supervisors. Raquel from Soma Pilipinas. I um, want to thank all of you for centering our small businesses and want to support the request to increase the amount to Soma Relief Fund to $3 million. Soma businesses at great risk stayed open um, to help showcase San Francisco on the world stage and contributed to the image of a thriving city. But the truth is that some is still just recovering from the pandemic and that these small businesses have razor thin margins. Increasing the fund to three million will help prevent closures of small businesses. The GM of Metrion is here and he says seven businesses um, couldn't pay rent because of APEC. If the main aim of APEC was to boost a struggling economy and help revive tourism, Soma is a key area because Musco to get uh, Moscone conventioners to the rest of the city, you have to go through Soma, right? To Chinatown, to the financial district, to Union Square, to Civic Center, even to the Sunset. Uh, the $3 billion recovery fund will keep um, this cultural tourism um, convention hub of the Speaker's city time alive. Thank you. Thank you much, Michael Redondez. Next speaker. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me. I'm Dorothy Pang. I'm a board-certified pediatric dentist. I operate and own a practice at 823 Terrell Street. My practice, yes, is severely sabotaged by the lack of parking. I'm standing in front of you to tell you I agree with the other merchants. The SFMTA project has totally sabotaged the parking, affecting the patients that I serve and deeply cut into uh, my operation revenue. I wish to speak on behalf of my patients who are special needs who come to see me by wheelchair. I see a significant number of them. They cannot get to me without cars. They need parking. They are handicapped patients. They are being affected by this SFMTA project deeply. They come from all parts of San Francisco, beyond San Francisco, and they cannot, they have to hold off their visits because they cannot find parking. So in, in addition to financial impact, no good deeds go unpunished. You're punishing the merchants and the vulnerable populace. Thanks so much, Dorothy Pang, for addressing this committee. Next speaker, please. Hi, thank you, supervisors. My name is uh, Dr. Peter Lee. I'm the orthodontist. I'm on 801 Terravel Street. So I've been there for 25 years. And with the SFMTA upgrades here for the past four years and ongoing, and others like AT&T, PG&E Works have has inconvenienced our patients to access to care and also place a burden on our team. Because of all of the above, my business has incurred financial loss similar to other small businesses on Terravel Street. I would like to request the city for financial assistance to re revive back and to have a sustainable neighborhood for all. Thank you so much. Thank you for addressing this uh, committee. Dr. Lee, next speaker. 
Hi, my name is Jerry Vong. Uh, I own a business on 1155 Terravel, uh, which is at the corner of uh, 22nd Avenue. At that, uh, what, what the previous two individuals said, uh, parking has been really, really bad. Uh, traffic, foot traffic, uh, we've, we've seen a decrease about 65 to 75% uh, foot traffic in that area and it has caused a lot of inconvenience for all the businesses there. Um, one, one thing also we need to mention is that for our food to be fresh, we continually buy the amount of same amount of food, but because there's no traffic, we have to let, like, let that, uh, the food spoil and it has to go to waste. So our costs are still being kept the same. So please help us out. Thanks so much for your comments. Next speaker. Hi there, good morning, supervisor and everyone. Thank you for your time. Um, just to make it simple, enough of the legal jargon, let's say supervisors, hey, I'm gonna remodel your office. It's gonna take about eight weeks. Um, you're gonna have a beautiful, beautiful space, though you'll be taking home 50% of your pay. That is what we are experiencing right now as business owners. Um, it is our livelihood um, on Terrell. Um, it's full of mom and pop shops, you know, um, in, daily income is really important to us. It's how we put food on our table. We struggle to pay our ongoing operating costs. Um, you would expect a healthy business to have four to six months of working capital, but unfortunately this construction work has taken over two years. I know a lot of businesses take out loans to keep afloat and are accumulating debt every single week. First the pandemic, then construction, all my customers tell me they avoid Tearval because you need a four by four to drive on it and you just simply can't access it. So if we don't do something about it soon, you know, there's gonna be another three to five businesses closing that I know of within six months um, due to these struggles. Elapsed. So I just ask that we be included. Next speaker, please. Thank you so much. Again, I do apologize for cutting anybody off, but we are timing each speaker uh, at one minute for equity. Thank you much. Thank you. My name is Mark Sherman. I'm a part owner of Guerra Quality Meats on 15th Avenue and Terravel Streets. We've been around for 70 years. We are one of the last union-run shops in the city of San Francisco. We have experienced a 40% uh, decrease in revenue over the last two years. Two years, not 10 days, two years. Uh, we have a staff of about 10 people, all of whom are members of the union, all of, them, all of whom are covered medically and dentally and have pensions through our business. We have struggled these last two years. I want to say that whatever money can be allocated to the businesses in Ontario or indeed to those businesses that suffered from, from APAC, this cannot, is, is not going to be sufficient. This cannot be the final answer on what the city can do to compensate small businesses in San Francisco. This has to be the beginning. We have to, we have to look for other ways to compensate small businesses on Taravel for two years and businesses in APAC. time has elapsed. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for addressing this committee. Next speaker. 
Hi, my name is Berta Rodriguez. I'm director of finance at the Children's Creativity Museum. On behalf of Dr. Carl Tang, our executive director, our staff, our neighborhood, and our visitors, I want to thank you for this resolution to provide financial relief to small businesses and nonprofits who were negatively, negatively impacted by APEC. The Children's Creativity Museum was proud to show the world that SF is a vibrant and dynamic city during APEC. Veterans Day is traditional, the busiest day of the year in the museum, and we staffed off for the weekend. We wanted to serve children and families on their day off from school and to give them something fun and playful, especially after years of COVID. Uh, we ended uh, up having much lower attendance than we had planned and lost significant revenue for two weekends. As a nonprofit, all of our revenue supports our programming. Uh, we're especially proud that 30% of our visitors come for free through our low-income access program. In fact, we are the most visited art museum through the San Francisco Museums for All program. APEC relief funds would allow us to support our staff and continue to provide free educational programs. Thank has you. Elapsed. Thank you so much. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Desi Dangannon from Cultivate Labs. First off, thank you, Supervisor Dorsey and Supervisor Connie Chan for supporting the mitigation funds for SOMA businesses in APEC. We operate two spaces, one in the in exclusion zone and one steps away from the exclusion zone, and it was a complete disaster. We know firsthand the effects of APEC, and we also hear from the small businesses we serve. Keep in mind that citywide vacancies right now is about 35%. In our part of SOMA, in Yerba Buena, it's 50%. If we don't do anything to mitigate the harmful impacts of APEC, we're going to push into 60, 75%, and we will make the doom loop a reality if we don't do the right thing today. So thank you. Thanks so much for your comments. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Rebecca Pan. I run Trellis Coworking and Events on Mission Street between 5th and 6th. APEC really impacted us the entire time. We had, it was just, there was just nobody there. Um, we had 75% loss of revenue. We have a coffee shop as well. We couldn't sell anything. And I, I hate that this is being pitted against neighborhood to neighborhood. The city needs to do better for all of these small businesses. We just got through the pandemic and now this. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca Pan. Next speaker. Hello. Uh, thank you for your support, Supervisor Dorsey and Chairman Chan and the full team at OEWD. My name is JP Reyes, the co-owner of Sarap Shop, a family-run Filipino food business in Soma, Pilipinas, uh, cultural district. We've been in business for over seven years and working hard as we can to survive to our eighth. It's at this stage of recovery, it feels like a nonstop battle each week to see if we can make our numbers work and not fall deeper into dangerous amounts of debt. Of course, when the events of like APEC come, we try to be optimistic about possibility, but we participated in generating solutions to prep for APEC, but despite our efforts, we witnessed so many of us lose nearly 100% of sales. None of us want to give up. In fact, we are part of efforts to other local nonprofits to help other small business owners decide to plant roots here and prevent more closures. But when they see the negative impacts of events like APEC on small businesses, it feels impossible to keep believing our efforts are worth it. The full funding would help our fellow neighboring small businesses to continue operating and stop the devastating uh, bleeding. It would help us with our advocacy and development. Speaker's uh, time has elapsed. Thank you. But thank you, JP Rez, for uh, addressing this committee. Next speaker. 
Good afternoon, committees. My name is Gordon Lai. My wife and I runs two business on Terraville Street, a milk tea shop and also a beauty salon. We're frustrated and completely disappointed with what's going on with, with the road. There's a lack of communication between um, various departments. The roads are opening back up and closing and opening back up. There's PG&E and there's also MTA. We would like more clarification and coordinations on that. Suffice to say, this ongoing construction has been severely affecting our family. We see a loss of 70 to 80 percent on sale loss, and also 20 to 30 percent. I'm sorry, 20 to 30 percent on sale loss, 70 to 80 percent on loss of walk traffic. Our majority uh, business um, patrons are from the local schools, so with the road closed, no one's able to cross the road. Um, my, law, my wife lost seven out of 10 appointments for her beauty salon because of parking space. There's no parking, no one's coming speaker over. Speaker side mass elapsed. Thank you. But thank you for addressing this committee. Next speaker, please. I'm also translating for her. Hey, I'm a business owner on Terraval. Because of the construction, um, there's no parking, the customers are not coming, but we're still open up. We still have expense. Um, we, our employees are still working there. Um, we're afraid to lay them off because uh, We can't sleep at night. Uh, we sleep only like two hours at night. Uh, we're just frustrated. I hope the community will help us uh, voice out our concern and, and talk to the MTA. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for addressing this committee. And thank you for helping us with translation. Next speaker. Uh, Thanks so much for speaking to address this committee. And I do apologize, but uh, yes, uh, typically we do make arrangements for interpreters if we receive 48 hours in advance of such, and uh, we received no such request for this hearing. I do apologize. Next speaker, please. Hi, good afternoon. My name is Michael. I'm the owner of the Guilin Vice Noodle House on Televel. I've been in 
。不過咧，自從上個月咧，佢哋由十九街到廿四街嗰啲倦路咧，之後咧，我哋嘅生意一跌跌到四十個 percent。所以咧，我哋誒就而家唔知道點樣啦，而家係嘛？你而家你睇下而家呢個睇唔睇到啊？而家 lunch time 得一張台，而家你睇下嚇，即係 empty 嘅嚇。而家係 lunch hour， 即係 empty， 你諗。所以我希望政府咧就誒俾我哋幫助 ，OK？ 我就係咁多 ，thank you。Hi, I'm translating for、uh, Michael.、Um, so he's the owner of a、uh, Gulen Noodle House on Telford Street.、Uh, he has opened his business、uh, for five years、uh, because of convenience,、uh, lots of parking, and people can easily、uh, drive there. And、uh, since the construction started last month, he has lost forty、uh, percent of business. And as you can see, there's only、uh, one table and maybe no customers. This is even. Um, at the shop during lunchtime,、uh, so he is hoping that、uh, um, there will be some relief uh, for uh, businesses on Telephone. Thank you. Thank you much for providing your comments. Next speaker. Hey, 大家好，多谢你哋肯听我哋讲嘢。啊，首先我系 Telephone 街市面铺茶餐厅东主。啊！自從一月份嗰陣時，誒、啊、公車局喺我哋門口度整路咧，誒、啊、所有嘅米標位係完全 block 曬，誒、啊、冇人可以停到車。對我哋鋪頭嘅生意啊 ，compare 半年呢半年嚟咧，我哋已經係跌咗三十到四十 percent。我哋為咗維持開支咧，我哋已經要誒、啊、令三個員工放無薪嘅假期，冇辦法，我哋要 keep 住個 business 開。我想話俾你聽，呢、这個工程呢、这個公車局令到我哋鋪頭同埋我哋員工嘅影響對生活係好大嘅影響。希望佢哋可以同埋政府可以有誒、呃、作出回應，同埋俾啲 support 我哋。好多謝。Hi, my name is、uh, Lock,、uh, owner of、uh, Smile House Cafe, and、uh, thank you for,、uh, for all the supervisors listening to our concerns. Um, since um, um, the SFMTA started the construction a month ago,、uh, we have seen a 30% uh, losses of uh, business revenue,、um, and、uh, I have to lay off、uh, three of my staff, and、um, they are on no pay leave, and、uh, my employee needs、uh, a livelihood too,、uh, so it's not sustainable. Uh, we hope that SFMTA would、uh, would complete this project as as, on, as soon as possible, and there、um, could be some relief for、uh, merchants on Telephone. Thank you. Thanks so much for addressing this committee. Next speaker. Hi, 大家好。誒，我係喺 Telephone 開嘅椰椰商店。咁咧，因為道路嘅關係咧，嚴重影響咗我哋嘅生意。咁我喺度舉一個例子，本來咧借住中國嘅新年咧，即係農曆新年呢個商機咧，我哋係向一啲公司咧賣出咗好幾張、好好幾千張嗰個禮品券嘅。咁咧就俾啲公司咧分派俾啲員工作為新物嘅禮物。咁咧因為停車同埋公交車嘅關係咧，嗰啲員工咧都唔肯攞。誒佢哋話攞開唔開停冇得停車啦，同埋搭公交車唔知喺邊度落車，咁咧就造成咗我哋嚴重嘅即係生意上嚴重嘅影響咯。唔該曬。
我哋誒每一張嘅誒禮品券咧，都係十蚊一張，我哋賣咗三千幾張嘅。咁咧就退咗咧，我哋而家係退咗兩千五百幾張。Um, so my name is、uh, Mrs. Lam,、uh, owner of Yiyi Coconut、uh, Drink Shop、uh, on Telephone.、Um, so the、uh, construction has、uh, severely impacted my business.、Um, So just for example,、uh, for my business,、uh, we have been、um, selling some coupon、uh, to a few big companies, and they and the companies distribute the coupons to their staff to get、um, uh, merchandise from my from my shop.、Uh, but、um, the staff, the employee, they wouldn't come to pick up the the merchandise because、um, there's no parking and.、Uh, For those who take、uh, money, they don't know where to get off.、Um, so as a result,、um, the shop has to refund all the coupon. So he,、uh, they are selling、uh, each coupon for ten、uh, dollars. They have sold the three thousand coupon, and so so now they have to、uh, refund about twenty five hundred coupons.、Um, so um, please um,、uh, help. Uh, with the telephone business. Thank you. Thank you much, Mr. Slam, and、uh, thanks again for assisting us in interpretation. Next speaker. Hi, I'm Corinne Pesawong, an owner of、uh, Piero's Pizzeria on 2244 Terravel Street. Thank you for taking the time and listen to all of us. We do need your help, as you know.、Um, All our businesses have been、uh, impacted by the、uh, SFMTA plus PG&E and all other other uh, uh, <laughs> other issues. So help us, okay? Thank you very much. Thank you much for addressing this committee. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Guru Langani. I'm a business owner at the Matrion. We are here for the APEC. Challenges that we have faced and the losses we have had, and now looking at all this hearing here, it's like a big. APEC happened in November, and here we are all the way in Feb, still waiting for a resolution. Would really appreciate some help if the city is going to do something for us, or maybe we should just all close our business and walk walk away. We are at a very delicate situation. Would really appreciate. Our neighbors have not been able to pay rent and so on. So would really appreciate the help. Thank you. Thank you kindly for providing your public comment. If there are any more members of the public who wish to address this committee, now is your time to step. Madam Chair, we've、uh, completed our speakers. Thank you. Seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed.、Um, colleagues, if I, if you、uh, may indulge me for a minute, I just want to give a quick shout out to Barrett and Vince.、Um, they're the owners of Four Star Theater in the Richmond.、Um, they came here today、um, to not just advocate、uh, for. The 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 Terravel、uh, merchants, but I I know that they've been really、um, an advocate, strong advocates for small business on the west side. So I appreciate them here, and I think that、um, they said something really well, both in their presentation and to see the impact、uh, on Terravel, but also that you know we should not be pitting our merchants against each other, and I think that's like very critical.、Um, 
And uh, I also just uh, want to say a few words quickly in Chinese um, to the merchants uh, that came today in uh, Chinese is um, to let them know that uh, we, we heard them and, uh, and that uh, we, we wanted to provide that support as well. Um, Colleagues, I have what I have before you today. I hope that you can see is uh, amendments to this supplemental uh, to this uh, deappropriation and appropriation of the um, uh, APAC reserve, and that we are making the amendments to a total from a 2.25 million dollars to a 3.5 million dollars, um, and out of which that we are appropriating about 500 thousand dollars to. Uh, we're appropriating $500,000 to SFMTA to support f first two um, our parking in Portsmouth Square uh, and the ambassador services and transit fares for the Lunar New Year Parade in February 2024. And a, three, uh, and a total of $3 million to the Office of Economic Workforce Development to support a relief fund for SOMA area business and organizations from direct uh, APAC impacts and for a small business transit impact relief fund, all with the goal that uh, to support everyone um, that showed up, not just today, um, but in these areas that uh, we, we have uh, discussed and uh, in the language before you. It is also important to recognize, I think there are a few public commenters said that hopefully that this is a beginning of city uh, providing the support, uh, but not the end, because there's still uh, impact that ripple uh, impact um, that's for many merchants that have been suffering. And so I think that a couple of things are happening in the coming months. One is that SFMTA will be before this body uh, for their budget and discussion. Uh, another thing is that uh, we will have continued ongoing conversation with our mayor uh, office, mayor's office, uh, about how can we continue to provide uh, support to our small business um, throughout the city. And so today, I would also. Uh, agree with many folks that came forward and, and, and provided public comments that this is not the intent for this body to pit small business against each other. Our small business should not have to line up and come and ask for support. It, that it is the city government's responsibility to provide that support to them, especially when we make decisions and we have projects, we have uh, you know programs that really impact the operations. I think that one public commenter I mentioned that about having a renovation uh, in our office and not getting the pay, and that that's essentially what is happening. I, I like that analogy. I, I, I agree with that analogy. So all which is to say, colleagues. Um, I, but here, uh, I just also want to articulate that, you know, Supervisor Dorsey and Supervisor Ingardio, thank you for sitting in this uh, committee. It will only be the committee members. Today we'll be uh, voting um, on this decision, but also because uh, we're increasing the dollar amount This, uh, in the event that we to amend and to um, support this amendment, uh, it will actually have to be continued for a week uh, before we can move it forward. Is there any additional comment? I don't see any name on the roster. Supervisor and Guardio. 
Yes, thank you. And thank you for putting together these amendments. I really appreciate it. I had one quick question uh, for the committee. Uh, since I'm not a member of the committee, I wouldn't be able to vote. Um, the ordinance does mention specific locations like Portsmouth Square and Soma area businesses. Would it be possible, because Terraville is not mentioned, could we say after sm Small Business Transit Impact Relief Fund for Terraville businesses, would that be possible to add that line? I think uh, what I'm suggesting here is this, um, that we should contain the conversation about SFMTA impacted projects for um, uh, as how in SFMTA projects impact small businesses. So it creates basically a fund and an account where you can continue to allocate funding to it. Um, I mean, that is sort of the intent of what we're trying to accomplish here, that this is not, this is only a beginning, um, not, uh, uh, not a stop. Um, in fact, it's the reason why the budget and legislative analyst has that report back for, for uh, OEWD for Office and Workforce and Devo uh, Economic Development to come back and report back to us what is the relief fund has been like and how has it been distributed. But I think today it's clear that the first step, if the first step is to support the Terravel um, small businesses. So, that, so that's it, because the discussion today with OEWD, the intent was that this million dollars would be administered for Terravel. But I love the idea of the start. I agree. We have to start here and keep growing it. But I just want to make sure, because ambiguity is always not good in order, just want to make sure that um, at least this initial funding would be for Terravel. So do OEWD want to speak on this? And It's our understanding that it is the direction of this board to use that million dollars towards Terravel. So that would be the program we would structure and bring back to you and report on, unless otherwise directed. Okay, thank you. Um, Seeing no other name on the roster, um, colleagues, could I, could I, is, does that answer your question, Supervisor and Guardio? And so, I, again, I want to reiterate, though, um, that it is intent, and I think that I want to make clear um, that we're, we're going to be continue this conversation supporting small business interrupted by SFMTA project. I think that Supervisor Malgar has articulated uh, earlier too, that is, you know, we wanna see this ongoing. Uh, we wanna see SFMTA contribution uh, to this account or to this fund uh, on an ongoing basis and so that we can continue it. But we certainly wanna hear back how has it been for the Terraval merchants. Um, uh, once we allocated this funds. And we definitely heard loud and clear for the APAC, uh, the business that impacted by APAC, that we wanna hear from them as well um, to see how that two million relief um, has, has been going for them. Uh, so with that, colleagues, I would like to make the motion to amend um, the legislation as I articulated um, and to continue this to for one week. Uh, and so we can come back and uh, to finalize and to, to, to finally approve. And with that, a roll call, please. Uh, apologies, Madam Chair. Um, this being an ordinance and my not having an advanced copy of it, um, I will have to ask the city attorney if, if your proposed amendments are approved as to form.
Um, Deputy City Attorney Sarah Crowley. So my understanding is there's a couple of additional changes that haven't been reviewed by Ann Pearson yet, but I, I don't anticipate any problem. We would just need to review them before the next meeting. Uh, uh, through, thank you, Deputy City Attorney, and uh, through the Chair, uh, might I recommend uh, we come back to um, the, to this item, and then we can we can do some work in the background and with the, within the meeting. Or yes. okay, sounds good. So then we will then uh, continue this item till the end of this meeting, sure. and then we'll come back to it. Okay. Uh, so then let's call item number nine. Thank you much, Madam Chair. Uh, item number nine is a hearing to consider the annual review and adoption of the proposed draft fiscal year 2024 to 25 and uh, uh, 25 to 26 and budget uh, for the Board of Supervisors. Uh, Madam Chair. Raphael, Vice Chair. Sorry, my apologies. Uh, thank you. And uh, we have our clerk, Madam Clerk. Thank you so much for being here. Members of the committee, Chair Chan, Angela Calvillo, Clerk of the Board of Supervisors. And I'm here today with the department's administrative deputy, Dr. Edward DeAssis, uh, who prudently manages the department's financial data and other members of the leadership in the clerk's office. And we are honored to submit to you and to request the committee's review and approval of the department's proposed annual budget for submission to the mayor and the controller. For today's hearing, we realize that the city is facing a difficult economic climate and revenue outlook for the budget year. Uh, in contrast to the department's proposed budget, what we brought to you in December, uh, which was heard and filed, today's version includes cuts to the department. As you know, the board has kept this department budget lean and there is no fat to cut. However, I have heard from every member of this board who wants to help. Uh, therefore, we will be submitting uh, some reductions. The, tr the strategic center of our reductions fall from the modernization that the members have provided to this department over the last several years. The second issue to review is the projected revenue increases from the Assessment Appeals Board, or the AAB. Slide two summarizes the proposed budget changes, which includes 330,000 of cuts in both budget years from the following items. 33,000 in savings from each district office's legislative account by 3,000. The department is dialing back the modest increases to update the legislative account, which were at 8,000. We're now uh, going to uh, bring them down to 5,000. 294,000 in savings from an increase in assessment appeals revenue due to the onslaught of appeals filings. And from the clerk of the board's administration and finance division, uh, 83,000 in temporary downgrades of an accountant and HR analyst, which are both currently being recruited. Our expectation is to uh, hire at a lower step, and when it is absolutely necessary, once they're trained up, to then uh, uh, bring back to the current levels that we currently have hiring authority for. And one of the questions we're asking for, from you is for us to maintain that hiring authority once we are ready to do that. 
and in working closely with the director of the Youth Commission, Director Esquivel Garcia, um, we have 8,000 approximately in savings from the line items in their budget, and we are grateful to um, Director Esquivel Garcia. So you can see the board in total and all of its divisions are shouldering uh, a portion of these, of these cuts. Um, these cuts amount to approximately 418,000, which will be slightly offset by ECOLA for the BLA and the LAFCO minimum statutory funding. When I return in July, I will provide you the line items uh, as LAFCO does not approve its budget until May and we'll bring that final budget to you in June. Slide three does provide you um, an overview of since 2008 of the Assessment Appeals Board revenue. Um, similar to the downturn in uh, 2008, there is a threefold increase in revenue from the application filings uh, in the current year. We will have a surplus of 300,000 as we mentioned to you. In 2004, compared to 2008, our strategy for managing the impact of the significant and continuous rise of appeals began in, uh, during COVID. We have been planning our, uh, our uh, approach to these appeals since uh, 2019. Um, I'm happy to go into detail on the things that we have done to which will assist us in managing uh, that workload. On slide four, we do have a summary of the proposed budget. This is the last substantive slide, um, but with the reductions that I've mentioned and the revenue increases, this slide will summarize the changes to the department's proposed budget submission based on the recommendations, again, from slide one and the revenue update on slide two. And I will just take this opportunity to mention that in the next coming uh, month or weeks, we will be bringing a policy change to this committee and to all members of the board, which will be requesting that the increases in the ongoing increases in revenue at the AAB will be captured uh, by this department to be uh, turned back into this department's uh, general, uh, well, our revenue stream to assist us with our AAB uh, needs for its system and maintenance ongoing. The final slide, we have two questions for you. Um, after any questions, does the committee approve the proposed budget with these changes to submit to the controller and the mayor for their budget phases? And we are hoping uh, that by motion you will authorize us to maintain our hiring authority. Again, we'll hire our two classes at the lower steps and then uh, be able to, once they're hired up and trained up, then to be able to um, utilize the higher steps, the salary typically that we would go towards those FTEs which we currently have in our department. Thank you and I am available for any questions. Thank you, Vice Chair Mandelman. Uh, thank you, Madam Clerk. Thank you for the presentation and um, I'm, this is, Minor in number, but, um, but I'm trying to figure out impact because I haven't thought about this and somehow it slipped by me. But the legislative accounts are the accounts with which we pay for things like business cards, certificates, any of the stuff, anything that our offices might need, right? Correct. So that's like the get the work of the office done. And when was the last time it was at 5,000? 
The last time it was at 5,000 was approximately four years ago, before COVID. Um, all right, I have not looked closely at, you know, where we have spent that over the last year or two, but I imagine costs have gone up quite a bit. Um, the, a part of the, if I may, through yeah. the chair, the expansion was so that it would be available for members who wanted to pay for additional items compared to what was being paid and is still able to be paid for out of that account. Additional items such as parking or bar dues or uh, travel for their staff in addition to themselves. So prior to five years ago, were supervisors paying for their parking out of their own pockets? Prior to four or five years, those were not items that we would allow payment to be made from oh, the so legislative account. Everything we do, we do in front of this committee. We get authorization from the committee and the board generally. Because it has been the case... All right, so more things went into that account. I mean, I don't remember that change since I've been on the board. But, um, all right. Well, I guess I will look, I mean, this. Uh, and how large is the budget of the Youth Commission? How much is the amount that yeah. the Youth Commission yeah. gets budgeted? Yeah. In addition to the three um, positions, it's about 300 and about 450,000, thank you, Dr. DeAssis. They do have additional line items in their budget to an amount that he, Edward's going to let us know, the amount of, that they utilize for a little bit of material and supplies in addition to a food. That is the, that is the one division other uh -huh. than late night board meetings, we do four a year, where we authorize a little bit of pizza to be served so that the commissioners who come straight from school yeah, will yeah, be yeah. able no, to I, eat and come to a commission yeah. meeting. And how much, and just broad, roughly, how much is LAFCO? LAFCO has a statutory amount of about, is it 297000 392000 is... 392000 mm -hmm. $392, is the statutory amount for LAFCO. Set by state law? Set by... Us. That, it, that it is state law that they are able to request the same amount that they received the year before. That is, it is that amount is reserved for them unless the LAFCO itself votes to reduce, reduce that amount. That. Okay. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Supervisor Markar. Uh, thank you, uh, Chair Chan. Uh, thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, in past years, uh, we have had this discussion at budget time around language access. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that again in this year's budget yes, um, and yes. uh, whether or not you think it's sufficient, whether or not um, you have any ideas for perhaps, you know, we can all contribute to that from our legislative accounts or something because it continues to be a problem as you just saw in this committee meeting. Yes. Thank you, Supervisor Melgar, for bringing this important topic up. Before COVID, we had a line item in our budget for 5,000. Uh, slightly, it, probably 2019, we then began to uh, voluntarily raise that amount because of the usage. And I believe it was Supervisor Ronan who said, Angela, at every single meeting of the Board of Supervisors, 
or other large meetings that you are hosting, I want you to have interpreters there. It was a good call at the time because we were receiving a lot of requests for uh, interpretation. Then COVID happened and it really became urgent for us to have that. Um, and we benefited from that and so did the public. But as of late, because during the redistricting task force and the operations deputy knows this well, we utilized, I think, 50,000? It was 40, about 40,000. 40, we did not have the money for it, but we had the use of 40, dip into our coffers at 40,000. We were utilizing OSEA's funds and the Department of Elections. Uh, and then it dropped off uh, quite a bit where we would have our interpreters at every board meeting and every large meeting, and they were not being utilized. Recently, I think it was January, we made the decision internally that we would just utilize the uh, language access ordinance standard, which is two business days, 48 hours, um, so that we would get the request and then we would then provide the language of request at the meeting. And that's what we've been doing since January. I will say that, that when it is utilized, it is such an important service but Supervisor Melgar, many times you have seen we have had interpreters at our board meetings and they go unutilized. So we made the decision, like I said, in January. Our current line item for language access is 30,000. 30, so we're gonna see what that's with the 48 hour business, two business days standard will yield. And we're certainly happy to report back to you in June on the usage. Welcome. Thank you. I don't have any questions. I think that we has been a very lean and um, and strong and mighty machine that like just keep the board going. Um, I believe this is the second time you were here uh, before us last year, either December or November now. December. And, uh, December. I appreciate the revise. Um, uh, I you know based on the feedback that you receive at that. Uh, meeting. Shall we go to public comment on this? Are we all good? So let's go to public comment on this item. Thank you much, Madam Chair. We invite members of the public who have joined us today in which to uh, address this committee uh, regarding this hearing on the uh, Board of Supervisors budget. Madam Chair, we have no speakers. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. And with that, I would like to uh, have this Basically, we we adopt. Do we adopt or just file the hearing? Uh, we could just file the hearing. Yeah. Oh, I'm, oh. My apologies. Madam Chair, yes, you would approve this version of the proposed budget for submission to the mayor and the controller. The committee could approve that. And then also provide us the usage of, we have those two FTEs that are long-term FTEs in this department while we are going to hire at a lower step. We still want the hiring authority. We do not want the budget and legislative analyst or the mayor's office or the controller to recommend elimination of the higher class. We are hiring at a lower class and um, a lower step, excuse me, and then we're going to train this individual up and then move them into the existing steps that we have authority for. Thank you. So I move to for us to adopt the drafted budget, or we adopt the budget proposed before us today. And with that, a roll call, please. 
And on that motion, uh, to approve the proposed budget for transmittal to the mayor. Uh, Vice Chair Manlin. Aye. Manlin, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. And thank you. And do we need to also make the motion to file yes. the hearing? Yes. And I move to uh, file this hearing. Okay. And on, on that motion that this hearing be filed, Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. And the motion passes. Do Thank we you. have any other business before us today? Uh, we need to return to item eight. That's right. Madam Chair. I, item number eight. And uh, are we ready to move, um, move the amendments? Um, yes, Chair Chan, I understand um, you confirmed with Ann Pearson that the, the intent is to move the amendments that you previously read into the record without any additional reference to Terraval. That's right. Okay. In that case, it's fine to move. Thank you. Thank, thank you. And then because they're, they're not substantive? They, they are they substantive, are. Chair Because Chan. of the increase of the amount? Yes, Great. exactly. So with that, I would like to make the uh, motion to amend uh, item number eight uh, as uh, read out loud um, during the um, item he uh, hearing and like to continue the amended item to next week. And with that, a roll call, please. And on that motion to amend the ordinance uh, in item eight, as so stated um, during discussion earlier, um, and to continue this ordinance to the February 14th meeting of this committee as amended. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Melgar. Melgar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. The motion is, uh, has passed. And then uh, would like, do we have any other business before us today? Uh, Madam Chair, that completes our business. Thank you. The meeting is adjourned. <laughs>